to talk to her like tomorrow and be like, just so you know, we haven't done that for at least six months. Like for reals. <laughs> the day she's back, we're like coffee and kolaches. Literally. It's so funny. Okay. Um, Let's do this. Anyways. Let's get in. What's up? Hi, hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome to your favorite podcast in the whole world. This is Anyways Has Your Sex Life, and we're your tipsy hosts. I'm Channa. And I'm Corey. And we are not nearly as drunk as we were last episode, so you're welcome, everybody. I'm the same amount of drunk that I am I was at the beginning. Because I chugged my three and a half shots of whiskey. So, But then the last episode, it just went downhill from and there. And then it just kept going. We got going. so drunk. <laughs> we both literally do not remember recording the episode. I don't like, remember. Like, we both <laughs> saying goodnight or goodbye. Yeah. I, like, woke up the next morning. I was like, did we finish recording? Because we didn't even know if we, like, stopped the recording button. Because <laughs> we were both so gone. So, sorry, and you're welcome at the same time. Yeah, that, it's it's it. fine. You're, y'all are fine. It's fine. Like, yeah, You're I don't here. remember, like, yeah, whatever. We'll continue. Um, but I bet so, you it was a good episode. <laughs> yeah, like, it's amazing what, like, three shots of whiskey can do. Because, like, I feel a lot better than I did 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Yay. I'm a lot happier. <laughs> Alcohol, everybody. And I wasn't even it's really amazing. in a bad mood. I was just in a, like, whatever mood. <laughs> And now you're like in a yes. But now I'm like, like a yes whatever mood. yes. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't have any announcements today. Do you? Yeah. Um. The only announcement is like, uh, movie shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh God, are you gonna make me do this again? <laughs> um. Okay. So. <laughs> Hi, yes. ready? It's. Oh, fuck no, you, so, Corey. So just to, no, here we'll just say warning. this. Hey. We'll just say this, just to remind you, uh, we have what we call Movie Mondays, um, which is Horror Movie Mondays. <laughs> this um, is going to be fun, y'all. And so we have to, we are just announcing the movie that won. We're going to announce it right now. Um, it is The Endless. You can go watch it on YouTube. You can look at the synopsis that I wrote on our Instagram stories. That's the one that won the poll. Um, and so you have basically until next Friday to watch it. Because uh, technically for us, all we know, what we know is that we're recording this on Wednesday, but we're releasing the episode on Fridays. So next Friday or next Wednesday, we'll talk about it when we record it and release that episode on Friday. So you have a week and a half to um, listen to it and listen or to watch it and then listen to us talk about it. But also every Monday, we're also going to do funny polls about the movie. So if you want to watch it before the next Monday, you now have like the weekend to watch it and then participate in our funny polls. I might push that back to Wednesday, but we'll see. But movie Mondays just sounds so cute. To yeah, just as cute as fuck. Instead of a movie Woovie Wednesday, <laughs> Woovie Wednesday. Woovie Wednesdays. Woovie <laughs> Wednesdays. Everyone's like, "What does that mean?" We're like, "Fuck you." We're like, so we yeah, want. watch it. It's on YouTube. What's it called, Corey? The End List or the Endless? Sorry? The Endless. What's it called? The End. The, okay. Cool. Yeah. And thanks for voting. If you voted for that Instagram, thanks, y'all. If you want to vote for the next movie, you have to follow us on Instagram. And our Instagram is AHYSL Podcast. Or just type in Anyways, How's Your Sex Life? And uh, find us on Instagram. Follow us. You know, send us nudes, whatever you want to do. But that's how you can participate in more fun extras for Movie Mondays, such as voting for the next movie voting in the polls, sliding into into our DMs, etc. 
Um, you can also follow us on Facebook. The handle is the exact same, AHYSL Podcast. And you can visit our website, which is AHYSLpodcast.com. Thanks, y'all. Yes. I have one more announcement that I 100% forgot about, but it is yes. very important to make everybody. Yes. Listener stories. We're uh, looking for yes. 13 stories. Send it to our email, AHYSLpodcast at gmail.com. Our website, Great. which I literally just listed. Our Instagram, however you want to send it to us, send it to us. But we are looking for 13 stories. It could be true crime. It could be supernatural. It could be sex stories. It could mm. be a funny story. Mm. It could Another be a club. gay story. It could Another be a coming club. out story. Like whatever you want. Like if we, if you think we would ever talk about it on this podcast, send it to us. If you want to be anonymous, um, we're just going to assume. Wait. Yeah. If you want. we're. Uh, if you don't want to be anonymous. <laughs> if you don't want to be anonymous. <laughs> Let us know. Otherwise, we were just going something. to assume that you want to be anonymous. So, yes. yes. So, thank you for all the people that have sent us a Bless you to Jordan. So I heard that sneeze. Bless you to Jordan. Allergy season, y'all. So, yeah. So, thank you if you've already sent us a story, but we are looking for more. So, please send it to us. And if you're right now thinking like, oh, I should probably send them, send them the story. Yes. Oh, pull also- over. Send us the story. I just want to say, like, because of Jordan's sneeze, I miss Jordan. I thought about Jordan today, and I was like, I miss Jordan. Oh, wait, I'll tell him. Jordan. Beb. Corey says he really misses you. Yeah, I heard you sneeze. Jordan Jordan just said no homo. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Corey's crying now. He misses you so much more. No, I thought, yeah, I thought about Jordan today and I was like, I miss seeing Jordan. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh. Um, so are we jumping to my Fagato? Yeah, tell me your Afogato fact. Put some ice okay. cream in that shit. Yeah, my fucking Afogato fact today is titled The Queer History of Central Park. <laughs> oh, yes. that's so random. I okay, love so it. <laughs> it, it's a little, it's it's like, it's not, it's it's. Oh, God, whatever. It's sort of quick. It's not super quick. Whatever. We're continuing. I don't need to say that. Um, Central Park, New York. So, oh, have you ever seen a troll in Central Park? No. Oh, my God. You haven't seen a troll in Central Park? My first question is, who has seen a troll in Central Park? Oh, my God. It's such a good Is is it a Pixar short? No, it's like like an off-brand dream. It's not even DreamWorks animation from from the 90s. And it's about a troll who um, has a green thumb and he can make things grow. But the antagonists are like these crazy goblin. It's like actually this really cool semi like Yzma like character queen who's like a troll. She's a troll, but she's sort of like Yzma. And they're trying to get and they're trying to, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's fine. But it's a really good film. It's actually a really good film. Okay. Um, So. Um, Central Park has numerous associations with the queer community um, since its creation in 1857. So first and foremost, the Angel of Water sculpture um, on the Bethesda fountain was designed by uh, by a sculptor who's widely known as lesbian. Um, and her name is hey. Edda Emma Stebbins. Um, and this fountain was made in the 1860s. Fun little fact, this fountain was the first or this sculptor that she that she'd made was the first uh, public sculptor in the United States, uh, like public art sculpture in the United States that was uh, by a woman. So fuck yeah. Ooh, not, e- not even sculptor. Cool. It's like the first art art uh, thing. I don't know what the correct word instead of th- noun to put instead of thing. 
it's an art thing. She's well, like, like what? yeah, <laughs> like the first art, like ex- not exhibit, but just like piece for like art installment. For yeah, thank you. First public art piece or installment that was done by a woman, um, and she happened cool. to be a lesbian. So fuck yeah. Um, yeah, bitch. Also, as you can imagine, the park has been home to multiple cruising spots over the hundred plus year history of the, uh, you know, of Central Park. So let's go through them for a little bit, and that's basically going to be the rest of the fucking history of Central Park. Yeah, <laughs> there is actually fuck a f- the rest of Central Park. Yeah, because like, like, okay, a lesbian made a statue, and let's go to fuck like you know, gay men fucking each other in the bushes. <laughs> yeah, and now and then after that, you jump to charcuterie boards Literally. and wine parties. <laughs> I love I love how queer history equates to like. The wi- the queer women like creating art while the gay men just fuck each other in bushes, <laughs> right? And then boom, charcuterie boards. It's like a whole thing, Corey. Oh my god! Progress, growth. Progress. Uh, there's actually there's actually two uh, two gay men who are involved in the renovation later on, but I'll get to it. Historians have found that around the tur- around the turn of the 20th century, or even since the turn of the 20th century, so like literally the 1800s to the 1900s. Uh, people or men would meet next to the Belvedere Castle by the and then also by the 1910s there were benches near Columbus Circle that had become prominent uh, as a pickup site. Um, even in the 1920s there was a lawn uh, by the north end of what is known as the Ramble that was so popular that it was nicknamed the Fruited Plains because we're oh. fruits. Yeah, so. Um, so just to be specific and get you sort of grounded, we're going to focus on and describe to everybody what the ramble is while we're going to ignore like other other parts of the park that I'll talk about. We're going to ignore because I'll talk about them once or twice, maybe just mostly once. So if you know about Central Park, then you'll be like, yeah, that place, that place. But let's focus on the bra- ramble right now. I might call it the bramble because I'm drunk and I just want to call it bramble because I don't know. Um <laughs> It's John. fine. <laughs> so the ramble, which I might, aka the bramble, <laughs> is, aka the bumble, aka daddy, is it's basically like this part of the park where there's a lot of twisty, windy, serpentine roads, um, with a lot of foliage and trees, and then there's a lot of like rocks just jetting out of nowhere. So you could wow. easily like walk Nothing up onto these rocks and just like get behind these rocks and easily like you could literally while people were in the middle of the day like walking central park if you were quiet enough you could probably lay on top of somebody who was laying on the ground and fuck them in the ass like while this is going on because there's just like you know you you can you you can't just like there's just a lot of foliage there's a lot of there's a lot of trees and then the rocks create a lot of cover and stuff like that so ever since i guess like the you know founding of central park or the creation of central park the ramble has existed and you can go walk through that area today and i i've walked through it um a couple years ago when i visited and yeah it's very twisty windy there's a lot of covered places that you could just have sex if you wanted to it'd be very risky especially for today but like you could do it um so when i talked about the fruited plains and just mentioned that in the 1920s there's a lawn or like a lot of fields next to the ramble that it was nicknamed the fruited plains um, but remember that cause we'll come back to it. Um, in the 1920s and thirties, um, there was a place, um, near Columbus circle and Bethesda in the Bethesda fountain and the walkway, um, uh, that's Bethesda. Okay, cool. I'm just making sure I'm not calling it Bethesda because of like the fallout for the fallout. Okay. Well, I have a story about yeah. that. Okay. My, yeah. 
so I've been to New York like a million times. Like I love New York. Like New York's yeah, I love it. One of my favorite places. It's so fun. But uh, pretty much up until like my most recent New York visit, which was like a year and a half ago, two years ago, I literally thought like Bethesda Fountain was because of <laughs> Bethesda Studios and Fallout. I was like, yes. wow, that's so fucking dope that they have a fountain named after them. And then like I went there and I saw Bethesda Fountain and I was like, oh. Never mind. You're like, like never I'm mind. just a nerd. <laughs> I was like, it's not everything in the world revolves around Fallout Three or Fallout Four. Thank you. But like, <laughs> so. or, or Skyrim. <laughs> yeah. So I had yeah. those moments too, Corey. So it's fine. I know, right? But yeah. So I, I've like every time I read it, I just say Bethesda. But this time I was like trying to check to be like, is that does that really say Bethesda? <laughs> like I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> We're okay. both wrong. Someone's so, like, no, it's Bethesda. Um, it, um, besides the Fruited Plains, this area near the Columbus Circle and Bethesda Fountains in the 20s and 30s, um, along with a walkway from the southeastern corner of the park to the quote-unquote mall, known is known was known as Vaseline Alley or Bitches Walk. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, uh, let's like take a little uh, step back. It is also reported that as early as 1921, police were sent into the park to entrap and arrest gay men. Again, entrapping is like Yikes. you know basically the policeman acting like a gay man, you know, being like you know going up to a gay guy or enticing a gay guy somehow, walking into the woods with them, and that you know the so the opposite gay guy is like or the like the other gay guy is like, oh, fuck, yeah, we're about to fuck. And then he's like, freeze, I'm fucking police, you're arrested, you know, for, like, you know, indecency or whatever. Um, So they would do this since 1921, and even in mass sweeps since 1921. So they're big, like, sweeps and raids of this. Um, In 1947, Harvey Milk was actually one who was arrested. Um, And at this time that he was arrested in 1947, he was just a high school student at the time. Oh, Um, my God. Yeah. So let's go back to the Ramble. The Ramble remained a highly popular secluded spot for outdoor sex for decades. Um, it still is even to this to this day. Um, on top of the fact that it is the Ramble um, was for cruising, we'll just say, we'll just use that terminology. Um, it has also been a spot for gay bashings there because people knew that this was a popular spot for gay cruising. So guys would go there, you know, throw, throw back a couple brewskis. <laughs> <laughs> and then just be fucking straight as fuck and gash, g- bash gay people. Um, but then afterwards, they would like suck each other off and be oh, like, we're right? just only giving each other blowies like, just no to homo, prove how much we bro. hate faggots. <laughs> um, no. Grody, grody, grody. Yeah. Fuck you, Chad. Fuck you, fuck you Chad. Chad. And George. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, George Martin. <laughs> oh, you know George was so there. <laughs> Yeah, George was a, a, a George is such a piece of shit in the alternate universe. I know. Universe. I like want to fucking Rick and Morty meet the George Martin version of me. Totally. <laughs> uh, and just be like, you know, you're fucking gay. He's like, oh. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, beginning in the 1970s, the first gay pride marches, then known as the Christopher Street Liberation Day March, which if you um. We'll go back to one of our super early episodes. One of the first five episodes I talk about that. One of the first uh, <gasps> gay march. 
Um, you know, I just realized. Yeah. Since it's almost June, it means we are like coming up. We're getting no, closer to I our know. Super I, Game on. Yeah, I actually thought of. I actually already have two things that are queued up for for that month because I was like, "Ooh, I want to do this," and I was like, "Wait, I'll just wait." You know, I'll wait a few months until uh, Pride Month, and I was like, "Wait, that's like four weeks away." <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so I'm excited. Yay! yay gay I get shit. to talk about gay serial killers again. Yay! Yeah. I love gay shit. Gay shit's fun. <laughs> Gay shit's so fun. Um, so, um, so this first gay pride march um, followed the route from Green- Greenwich Village to uh, Central Park. Um, and then by the 1980s, Central Park was uh, in desperate need of a landscape restoration. Um, so integral to the planning and carrying out of this restoration were two gay landscape architects by the name of Philip and Winslow and Bruce Kelly. So Winslow designed the landscape restorations of the Bethesda Terrace, Cherry Hill, the Mall, and the Point, while Kelly was also involved in the restoration of the Point, the Ramble, the Great Lawn, the Dene. I would so- assume you would pronounce it that way. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not like a New York local. A, a New Yorker. Yeah. And the and the Shakespearean Garden. Kelly also specifically de- designed the Strawberry Fields, which was <gasps> Fields, which was a gift to Yoko Ono in memory of her husband John Lennon, and that was oh. dedicated in 1985. Um, oh. Isn't that so cute? Isn't that so cute? That's such a good side note, and I want to kill that cuteness of this side note. Both Winslow and Kelly uh, died uh, of AIDS. Oh, yeah. fuck me. Yeah. Such a high, not such a low. Yeah, I know, Oof. right? Like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, so This makes me desperately want to go to New York with you. I know, right? New York, New York is so fun. <gasps> I'm so I sad have... that the 100 year, like, or like the the World Pride was last year. I have, like, the most fun gay, like, 40 year old married couple like in new york that oh, I, I know we really want you to meet i know it'd be so fun we have oh i know to aren't they like very totally into go. leather and stuff like that oh yeah hell yeah, yeah. Fuck well yeah. one of them's like a famous photographer now so like fuck he's yeah killing it and the other one's just super uh, they're both like wonderful i'm so excited for you to meet them but anyways every time i think of new york i just think of how much fun we'd have clubbing with like together with them <laughs> like how much oh i know fun oh it'd be have. so fun um, okay, so yeah, that's pretty much like the gay, the queer history of Central Park. Not just gay, but I l- queer. I love it. Yay. I love it. All right. Last week, I talked about poisons that you can use to kill somebody, right? I 100% incriminated myself in all of your future murder trials. So today, I'm going to talk about poisonous and venomous animals that can kill oh, you. Oh, shit. You can also, like... I guess use those animals to kill other people, but like good luck not getting killed in the process. But like at least it's a funny story. But it has to be poison poison things that are poisonous are only poisonous because you ingest them. But venomous things mean like the definition of venomous means that if it bites you, then you are like to quote unquote poisoned. Yeah, exactly. Just so that's exactly that. what it's about to get to. Oh, next. okay, yeah, yeah, okay, so, yeah. So the so the quick way to remind you yeah, the difference between poison and venom is if you bite it and die, that's poison. That's poison. If it bites you and you die, it's venom. That's venom. So I'm gonna go yeah. through like the poisonous and venomous animals. I so say that like I'm cool because I'm drunk. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> did I mention? You did I mention I'm cool? Right now. <laughs> <laughs> so did I push the- up my glasses? <laughs> 
I'm so jealous you can wear glasses with your headphones. Are you wearing glasses right now? I don't even know if you are. No, 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 no. No, no. you're not. Yeah. I can't wear my glasses with my headphones. So I'm literally zoomed in 150% on my Google Docs. Oh, just, like, oh, I don't need glasses. I, anything within 20, 20 feet is fine. But beyond 20 feet, fuck. <laughs> yeah, no. My computer's ruined <clears throat> me. Okay. Yeah, driving's a total nightmare. If I don't have my glasses on and you see me driving, just assume I don't know what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah. If I it's don't. night, yeah, fuck that. Oh, yeah. All right. So the most poisonous amphibian is the golden dart frog, which Ooh. I'm sure most of you know. So the golden dart frog is found only in the dense rainforests of Western Columbia. The golden dart frog is fucking metal AF. Yes. Like within their skin glands, they store an alkaloid to- toxin called batra. Oh God. <laughs> I, oh God. I didn't it when I was Titled, drunk. Oh God. It was Hear the it's words called batracotoxin. <laughs> and enough of it on average like on their skin can kill 10 human beings. If Jeez. that poison enters your bloodstream, you are dead in under 10 minutes. Now you are dead. Once, you are they're, dead. They're just dead. <laughs> you, Cynthia, Cynthia, you are dead. You are dead. <laughs> There's only one species that is resistant to it, which is like this weird ass snake. And there is no antidote. There's like no like anti-venom, anti-poison, whatever. No antidote. Why the you fuck is that? Why that. did the why the fuck did that snake over like thousands of years just decide to be like no? Well, that's interesting. You say that because I'm resistant. these are so these are so teeny that a lot of the time they're just on like other like insects or leaves or whatnot that other creatures would ingest. Oh. So that's why like the most the most type of uh, creatures they kill are like snakes. creatures that eat. Are like are snakes and creatures creatures that just eat shit because the golden dart frogs are so teeny. Now, an interesting fact about the golden dart frog is that these frogs don't create these toxins themselves. So when they're removed from their natural environment and they're bred in, in captivity, they are completely harmless. They're what not the poisonous fuck? at all. Scientists believe that the poison is actually created by their bodies processing certain foods. It's very similar to how the pufferfish is really poisonous. Whoa. So that's a little fun fact. That's cool. Um, but the, the bummer part is if you accidentally touch one in the wilderness, you will die. Like there's like you, there's, there's no cure. You're, you're going to die. You are dead. All right. The, the <laughs> next the next thing I'm going to talk about is the most venomous spider. Ooh. And this is the Brazilian wandering spider, a.k.a. I think it's called like the banana spider or something. Now, this spider is my worst nightmare because he's like a hunting spider. Oh, God. So he doesn't create like webs. He's just like <gasps> kicking it under like rocks and like debris and like twigs or not twigs, but like bark and shit and then at night he hunts reptiles and mice like this is a fucking monstrous spider oh my god but it rarely attacks humans if it does attack human humans it doesn't usually use like a full dose of venom um, because the spider depends on its venom to kill its prey and survive Interesting. because whenever it, it kills its prey so let's say for example this brazilian spider is going after a mouse it would attack the mouse and like put just enough venom in the mouse so the mouse would become paralyzed and start suffocating because it can't move and it oh, can't breathe that's anymore. So sad. And that's how the spider kills its prey. So if the spider was like were to attack a human, it understands like, oh, I can't eat this. This is just to make the human back off. So it doesn't usually use enough venom to really hurt the human. 
But if it did give the human like a full dose, like the human would die. Like that's just what it is. Like the human's dead. Goodbye. It's a slow, like horrific death. Um, but that's incredibly rare to, ha- rare to happen. Um, plus, if you got bit, um, there is an anti-venom so that you would essentially be yes. completely fine. Um, however, like the bites are extremely painful. Um, they do cause vertigo, vertigo, blurred vision, convulsions, paralysis, and vomiting. So, like, it's not a good time. So, like, just don't do it. <laughs> that sounds like not a good time. <laughs> it's not a good time. The next thing I'm gonna talk about is the most venomous snake. So, this Ooh. is the inland taipan. So, the venom of this Australian snake is the most powerful in the reptile kingdom. Um, a single bite containing enough chemicals um, can kill a hundred full-grown humans. Damn. Just one bite. So the taipan, this is in quotes, um, the taipan is a mammal specialist. It feeds exclusively on, man- on mammals, which is quite uncommon. Um, as a result of this um, specialism, the taipan's ven- venom has evolved to be extremely lethal for all animals, um, specifically humans. This was from David Penning, who is a biologist and snake expert at the Missouri S- Southern State University. Nerd. Now, yeah, fucking nerd. You snake nerd. You put snakes in your butt. All right. <laughs> so this Taipan snake has multiple different types of venom properties within its venom, including neurotoxin and hemotoxins so it attacks your body on multiple different levels as opposed to just like one way it attacks you so neurotoxins affects a person's ability to control their body so within an hour of being bit um, a person will start experiencing symptoms such as slurred speech seizures difficulty (laughs) breathing or the inability to control your limbs (laughs) Yeah, so it's actually beer. And then with hemotoxins, that affects your abil- your blood's ability to clot. Oh, fuck. Um, so this is when eternal bleeding starts happening and organ damage and Bye. hemorrhaging and strokes. Um, so if you are not hospitalized immediately, you will die within an hour. Um, oh, God. If you are hospitalized, like, immediately, you will still have, like, lifelong effects that will affect you <gasps> forever because of this bite. Because it, like, literally destroys all of your organs, your blood. <laughs> it destroys, like, in your in your brain. Like, all the important stuff. Your organs, Holy blood, shit. and brain say bye-bye. Next is the most venomous fish, which is the stonefish. So, true to its name, this southern... Um, Pacific fish looks uncannily like a rock or a piece of coral. Like you just, like I looked at pictures of it. I was like, oh, we probably swam over one or two. Oh yeah, way. like if you've watched uh, a, a documentary about the ocean, you've seen this fish. Yeah. Now it waits like on the ocean or reef or reef floor to eat other fish. It doesn't really go out of its little comfort zone. It'll wait until a fish is like within body distance for it to like attack the other fish. And this is not like an aggressive fish. Like it doesn't attack people. It doesn't attack other fish unless it's about to get stepped on. Now, stonefish, they have 13 spines lining its back. And it like the spines release a venom whenever it's under pressure. So if you accidentally step on a, a, a stonefish thinking it's a harmless rock or something, it's going to pop up its dorsal spines and release a venom from two sacs at the base of each spine. Unsurprisingly, the more venom that is injected, obviously the worse it is for you. So if you stand on it for a little bit longer, you're fucked. Now these stings yeah. result in like horrific, unbelievable pain, 
swelling, tissue death, and also just death itself. Um, without getting medical attention immediately, the stonefish venom will kill you in less than an hour. Oh, my God. Next is the most venomous, the most venomous jellyfish, which is the sea wasp. And the sea wasp is a form of box jellyfish, which you I'm sure have all heard of. Now, box jellyfish are by far the most dangerous like jellyfish in the world. And the sea sea wasp, it's like scientific name is Chironex Frecari, which sounds like an (laughs) anime character. But it it is it is like the number one killer of like jellyfish now the sea wasp small body is not really the concern it's the tentacles that we're worried about and the tentacles um, are about 10 feet long and each jellyfish has about 60 tentacles so it's 60 10 foot long tentacles off of this killer jellyfish Um, and each tentacle is covered with these specialized like stinging cells that literally explode on contact and deliver venom straight into their intruder's skin. Now, if you get stung by, let's say, one tentacle, you'll survive. Like you're going to experience crazy pain, but you'll survive. If you get stung by multiple tentacles or get caught in tentacles, which happens, you will die in three to five minutes. What the fuck? That's it. Three minutes and you're I'm dead. Like, you know how These like these are found in Australia. This re- <laughs> all this, over Australia. This reminds me of you know. This reminds me of just like you know the post that you're seeing of like the people in Southern California running out and seeing like the blue algae and stuff like that. Yeah. So this reminds me. This like makes me think about like well like what else is like you know, returning to the shores or returning to like where humans would be because humans aren't running around the place all the time. So I just like, you know, like, you know, because it's summer and and people will start going back at the end of summer or the beginning of summer for like the Southern hemisphere, you know, it's like, it'll be interesting to see if like predators or dangerous animals like that have gotten closer to the coasts more often than usual than, than we're used to because we've been gone for you know, four or five months. Well, there's, you know, Australia is like crazy. Like you just, you always read those like Facebook posts oh, yeah. where they're like, Australia's out to kill you. Well, a lot of these animals I talked about like are primarily in Australia. Uh, but like the box jellyfish, like the sea wasp, though, like those jellyfish are fairly common off the coast of Australia. Fuck so in Australia, Australia, like people are getting stung by box jellyfish like all the time. Like it's not like yeah. a super rare occurrence. So, but that's an interesting point you made, though, since not that many people are swimming in the ocean right now. Like, I'm sure we're going to see kind of a jump in some of these type of yeah. cases because the animals are just returning to their natural habitat. Yeah, they're like, like whatever, cool. Like, yeah, there's not these loud, like, mammals running around, so we'll chill here Yeah, now. exactly. So I'm sure, like, we will see an increase because humans are the destroyers of Earth, and we should be leaving some of these habitats alone. But whatever, it's fine. Go <laughs> but, Chen, I want to go to the bitch. <laughs> uh, last, last one we're going to talk about is the most venomous cephalopod Cthulhu. I'm just kidding. It's the uh, blue-ringed octopus. So the blue-ringed octopus is native to the Pacific Ocean. Um, Now, this is a nugget octopus. I'm talking eight inches, y'all. Like little baby Tyler-sized penis. So I guess a big penis-sized octopus. I'm about to say, like, some people want would would pray for eight inches, Chana. (laughs) 
That's true. I meant like eight inches is small in terms of octopuses, but eight inches in terms of penis is octopi? pretty is, is is good in terms of octopi. I don't know. I don't yeah, know eight, if it's octopuses or pie. I don't know. Octopuses. Eight inches is small for octopuses, but eight inches is is, is big for penis. So like, go Tyler. But if Tyler was an octopus, you're cute. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Aww. So. The blue-ringed octopus can be found in the soft, sandy bottoms of the shallow tide, you know, in tide pools and coral coral reefs. It's everywhere that you scuba dive or look at whenever you're, like, doing shit at the beach. Cute. When it's not looking for food or a mate, it's usually hiding in little crevices or under seashells or found trash that humans left and is hiding under that. You know, this is adorable. This is, like, the cutest shit you've ever seen in your life. However... When threatened, these bright blue rings appear Ooh. all over its body as a warning signal to potential predators. If it, sorry, let me reread that. Yeah. I wrote like three, three things. Okay. It isn't aggressive and it only bites if it's cornered or handled. Now this bite is painless, so you wouldn't even notice until what? it's too late. Because although this is very cute and nugget and adorable and I want to hold one and kiss one and like make TikTok videos with it, this venom is 1,000 times more powerful than cyanide and what it packs enough venom fuck? to kill 26 humans within a minute. <laughs> now the, the venom, <laughs> it blocks nerve signals throughout, throughout your entire body. So let's say you got bit, right? You got bit. The venom is going to start blocking all of your nerve, your nerve signals throughout the entire body, causing complete muscle numbness. Um, other symptoms, you're going to start getting really nauseous. You're going to completely lose your vision and go completely blind. You're going to lose sense of all motor skills, and then you're going to become paralyzed, um, including the muscles needed for you to breathe. So this is going to be leading for, to you to literally like suffocate and drown. There is no known antidote, and you are dead literally within minutes. Like, within two minutes, you're dead. So if you ever see the most adorable octopus on this planet, run the fuck away. Like, swim as fast as you can. Yeah, uh, with blue rings. Swim as fast as you can and hope to God it didn't bite you because you wouldn't even know if it did bite you until you were already dying. Like, by the time you'd recognize it bit you, you'd be going blind and you could no longer breathe and you'd be dying in the air. Oh, my God. Imagine, Chan, imagine being in the water and then you go blind and then you can't breathe. Yeah, fuck that. That sounds like the worst time ever. (laughs) The last thing I'll say to you is, like, Mormons were right and then I'll die. And you'll be like, no, I'm like, no, fuck you, Chana. But the only good news I have is the last reported death was in 1960. So that well, was thank, a long time thank ago. Thank God. So we're due for but, a death, though. You know what? And the coronavirus happened, like Corey just said. So everyone go to the <laughs> beach fucked. for the first month. I'll just chill. Yeah, we're just chilling. We're y'all chilling die by the pool. From the box. Yeah, y'all die from the stonefish and the box jellyfish. The and fucking the octopi, octopusy. the octopus. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Why and do we? If it if it's food. octopi and not octopuses, fuck scientists. Fuck you, scientists! <laughs> you stupid, boring pieces of shit. You goddamn pieces of shit. It's octopuses. <laughs> yeah. Some like super scientists, like no, no. We're like no, you're no, wrong. It's octopus. Scientist aqua. It's yeah. octopusy. Thank you, mm. octopusy. Octopussy, say it with me. Oh, damn it. Okay, that's my spooky scoop for you. I'm yes. done. 
Okay, okay, let's do my let's get into my segment. Yes, <laughs> it's fucking eleven thirty. <laughs> get me scared. Jenna, I need to go to bed. <laughs> Bitch, me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um my segment today is on the haunting of Lemp Mansion. Okay. Of I Lump wish Ma- mansion? Look, the Lemp L E M P mansion. The Lamp Mansion. The Lamp Mansion. <laughs> The Lamp Mansion. The Lamp Mansion. Okay. So the Lamp family history. We're going to talk about them first. So the Lamp family yeah. began with uh, Johan Adam Lamp, who arrived in St. Louis from uh, Eschweg, Germany in 1838. Um, oh, so like, like <laughs> we have our history pasties on, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they're on. Because, like, I would say half of this, like, two-thirds of this story is just history, but it's, like, crazy. Like, I I would not keep this in if it wasn't interesting and crazy, okay? So, we have, like, a crazy history pasties on. These yeah. These are, like, normal history Well, pasties. like, even the even the first time we created history pasties, that was with, like, all of that monarch shit where all those people were being beheaded and stuff. Like, yeah. it was crazy. Like, this shit's yeah. crazy. But these pasties have sparkle tassels instead oh, yeah. of regular tassels. Because <laughs> it's crazy. Because <laughs> it's right, crazy. Right that, now that it's just regular history, but it gets crazy pretty quick. It gets pretty Okay, crazy well, let me good. know when I should add the sparkle tassels. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right now they're just regular tassels. <laughs> <laughs> um, so dude comes to St. Louis, and he starts a small grocery store <laughs> selling common household items, groceries, and homemade beer and vinegar. Um, Before Amazon came and destroyed them. In 1838. Uh, So Lemp was one of the first in the country to produce a German lager. And the recipe handed down by his father became very popular due to the increase of Germans in the area. It was also so popular that just two years later, he gave up the grocery store and built a small brewery in 1840. Um, before Whoa, long, uh, Lent found that the brewery was too small to handle uh, both production and storage and found a limestone cave south of the city limits. A cave. It so was the, haunted. So people would store stuff in caves because it'd be colder and you could get ice and store it in the cave and it would last longer, etc. So the cave could be kept cool yeah, by chopping. Ghosts. And ghosts. So the cave could be cool by kept chop, uh, could be kept cool. By chopping ice from the nearby Mississippi River and depositing it inside of the of the cave, um, and basically uh, this provided perfect or like the conditions needed to do the lagering process of beer. Whatever. I'm not a fucking straight guy, so I don't fucking know how that works. Okay, I just I like beer, but I don't know how that fucking works. <laughs> Sorry. So Lemp's Western Brewing Company continued to prosper, and by the 1850s was one of the largest in the city. Even in 1858, the beer captured the first place at the annual St. Louis Fair. Um, Adam Lemp died and as a well-established millionaire in August 25th of 1862, and his son William began a major expansion of the brewery. So let's just let's forget about Adam now. Hi, Adam. Um, we're going to focus on William. And if I ever Hi, refer William. to the father of the family, just think about William. Forget about Adam, okay? Okay. He'll be the you, grandfather. Adam. William will be the father, okay? If I refer back to him, because it's going to get a little bit convoluted, just like the first time that we started History Pasties, okay? Yes. So, Um, William's Which is Dudley Town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so William's our daddy, but Adam is our granddaddy. He's our silver fox. He's our silver fox. Okay. We'll go with that one. (laughs) Um, William takes over and does a major expansion of the brewery. 
basically, this thing eventually covers five city blocks with like the brewery, the factory, all that shit going down and like the bottling Jeez. and stuff like that. Um, and it becomes the biggest brewery outside of New York. Jeez. Yeah, in that's the cool. nation. Yeah. Uh, William also proved to be a very ambitious and ambitious and innovative uh pr- or i want to say producer because i've been watching hollywood <laughs> oh yeah businessman beer maker businessman a, a business um so he brewed and bottled the bill he brewed him i'm drunk he brewed and bottled the beer in the same facility which was actually the first time that it was ever done um he also installed the first refrigeration machine in the american in the brewery and even refrigerated his railway railway cars to get the beer to the entire country and then eventually the entire world. So he's a very okay. just like innovative and on top businessman. My first question is, does this beer still exist today? And why are we not drinking it right now? I know it does not. And we will get to why. Because <laughs> demons. Yeah, but I was drinking, but I was drinking a beer. I thought you were going to be like, and that is Heineken, everybody. And then you're yeah, like, Yeah, I I'm fucking done. hate fucking Heineken. <laughs> Whoever likes Heineken, you, like, stop listening to our podcast. You fucking I degenerate. Don't know ha- well, you know, I hate beer, so I don't think I've ever even had Heineken. Oh, I love Heineken is disgusting. Um, I, okay. I'm not a beer drinker. I'm a champagne or vodka drinker. One of the, <laughs> one of the two. So let's put a teeny bit of a pause on the Lemps and talk about the house, uh, the Lemp Mansion. So the Lemp Mansion was first built in 1890, and specifically uh, over the it was specifically built over the entrances to the caves where the beer was kept. Since oh, being boy. built has under has gone under many renovations. One of the first major renovations was an addition that was a tunnel that was built from the basement of the mansion. Oh God! Through the caves into oh, the brewery God. below. Um, this is the most haunted shit I've ever no, heard. No, really. When the mechanical refrigeration became available, parts of the cave were then converted for other purposes. So refrigeration was established, and they were like, "Okay, we don't need to just keep this this beer brewing in all these caverns. So let's use all of our fucking money and make some fun shit." So they added a natural auditorium, a theater, a bowling alley. And even a concrete what? swimming pool with hot water that was piped from the brewery bowling, the boiling house of the brewery. That um, is like the most bougie <laughs> ass shit I've ever heard in my right? life. Right? Like what? Like this the is what like bored white rich fuck. people do with their money. Literally. <laughs> literally this is what bored white rich people do with their money until they like a curse befalls their family. Um, Which is also the natural next step. <laughs> right? Like that's just science. <laughs> Yeah, that's like science. You you'd make an underground creepy ass catacomb esque style pool and yeah. you're gonna be haunted. Like you're gonna be fucking haunted for the rest of your family's existence. <laughs> um at one time the theater was even accessible by way of a spiral staircase from from the streets. Like you could just walk off the street onto the staircase and walk down this entire staircase to a cavern below. Yeah, this is like the biggest fire hazard I've also ever heard in my <laughs> like, life. What the fuck? Is, is this up to like safety standards? At the no, time? <laughs> it probably was not. <laughs> the fire marshal's like, God fucking damn it. Um, so let's go back to the family a little bit. So do do do. Two seconds, sorry. Oh hi, Simone. Stop biting my toes. Oh, motorbones. So in the midst of the success, this is where all of the horrible shit begins. 
So Friedrich Lemp, William's favorite son and heir to all of his fortune, died in 1901 at the age of 28 from heart failure. So now this is, again, like William's first son, Friedrich, died um, at the age of 28 from heart failure in 1901. Um, He had always had trouble with his health, but William Lemp was never the same, even though this was sort of expected because he was always sort of a sickly boy. Um, William began a slow withdrawal from society, from people, from going to work. Um, and he was rarely seen in public after his death. Then on January 1st of 1904, so literally like New Year's Day, William closes, uh, just, uh, two years later, two and a half years later, William's closest friend, Friedrich Pabst also, which is like, like he named his son Friedrich after his after his favorite friend so his son dies and then two and a half years later his favorite his best friend dies um leaving william extremely indifferent to just basically life he would show up to the brewery um he wouldn't really run it very well though um he would show up and then just lock himself in his office and then just deal with stuff that he needed to deal with. Everything else was just dealt with by other people. Like he, he just didn't even give a shit anymore. Where if like your son, if your favorite, he was his favorite son aside from just being his heir and his first son. If your favorite son dies the and then your like, best wow. friend. Yeah, no, seriously though. I mean, this is like 1904. Like, we get it, dad. Yeah, like mental health barely you exists. <laughs> like my it's, god especially if you're a man mental right? health did not exist yeah. back like, then yeah you're yeah fuck that <laughs> um so his physical and mental health began to decline extremely quickly and on february 13th of 1904 just a month and 10 days later he shot himself in the head <gasps> with a 38 oh. caliber smith and wesson oh, like my Lord. damn in the house. Damn. In the mansion. Oof. Okay. In November. So this place is haunted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, get ready. Like your history Oops. Oh, oh, yeah, your history You're of pastries can sparkle now. now. With the Ooh. blood splatters from his head, your history sp- your history pasties sparkle. <laughs> they sparkle with their their red sparkles though to represent the blood from oh, his yeah. gunshot wound to the Ooh. head. Mhm. Yeah, I got. Oh my god, poor, sentence. poor William. He's like, oh my god, my fucking death equates to these fucking queers. <laughs> talking He's like, wow, about- I killed myself. <laughs> and you're talking about my sparkle pasties now, you fucking assholes. Oh my god. <laughs> we did. You're welcome. We're like, we did. You welcome. People know your name. <laughs> yeah, people know your name, sparkle, sparkle pasty bitch. Sparkle pasty bitch. <laughs> His name's Daddy. No, we Daddy. can't make fun of. He died from literal like depression of people dying around him. So that's yeah. a, that's pretty real. That's pretty fucking. It's real. It's very valid too. Very and valid. Anyways, Agreed. His name is Daddy William Lamp. Yep. Uh, Lamp. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. If you just stop listening to this podcast now, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, in November of 1904. William Lemp Jr. took over as the new president of the William uh, J. Lemp Brewing Company, inheriting the family uh, business yes. and a vast fortune. So he and the his second wife... second favorite son. Yeah, so this is the <laughs> second favorite son that actually has his name. Um, so this is what we're going to focus on. So he is one of four sons, and we'll get back to that, okay? But William 
and his wife Lillian began to spend their inha- the inheritance, filling the house with servants. A pair, uh, the pair spent a, a huge amounts on carriages, clothing, arts, and parties. And we're going to get to that. She and William um, married in 1899, and William J. the III was born on September 22nd of 1900. We'll get to okay. William. Uh, we'll get back to William the Third later on. I'll mention him one more time. Um, before long, Lillian became known as the Lavender Lady because of her oh. fondness of the color. Um, in addition to her always, literally always wearing lavender, she had her carriage. She had like you know her drapes. Um, she had an entire room in the house that was known as the Lavender Room that was draped in lavender, just lavender drapes, lavender cushioning, lavender floor, just like you know, just like throw up. Jesus Christ, calm the fuck down, girl. Um, she even went so far as to dye the uh dye her carriage horses harnesses lavender. Like what? And then after that, she got live laugh love tattooed <laughs> on her fucking back. Right, and changed her name to Karen. <laughs> Yeah, and cut her hair and complain to your manager about your like weirdly like not that cold French fries. <laughs> That's happened to me when I worked at In and Out. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it has happened to you. Oh, where they're yeah. like, these oh, haven't oh. like given me the third degree. And burn. I got the and I literally got the. Can I speak to your manager? And I was like, yeah, sure, because our manager was Raul, and he gave no fucks. Oh! He gave zero fucks. <laughs> um, okay, so soon William began to tire of his wife and demanded that she must spend oh. her time shopping. Literally oh. giving her a thousand dollars a day in oh early in, in early nineteen hundreds. Did you look that her, up? No. How much let's today? let's look that up right now. I, I should have looked looked that up. A thousand dollars in nineteen hundred money. Okay. So oh my oh my god. That's thirty that's thirty thousand dollars. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> Holy, holy fucking shit. So, so literally, so just for everyone, she, he gave her $30,000 a day and gave her an ultimatum that if she didn't spend it, she wouldn't get any more money ever. So you're given $30,000 a day and you have to say, you need to go out and spend your entire day spending this money. And if you don't, then you won't get any more money ever again. Easy. I would be the hottest. I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, yes, like, bitch, you don't even know. I'm fucking gay. Like, you don't even fucking know. I'd be like, I'd be like, Botox, lips done, you Lululemons, right? You name it. I'm getting like my like my rejuvenation or whatever. Like every day. I'm like, I'm like spending like a billion dollars on like special UV rays to like fucking UV ray my asshole because that's like a popular thing to do now. Like, fuck yeah. And then I would donate it to charity, to oh. animal charity. Oh, hell yeah. Like, after I'd two like, days, I'd be like, this 30K. is disgusting. Yeah. I'd be like, 30K to Utah Valley Animal Rescue Group. Boom. Boom. $30,000 a day to go shopping. Yeah. I don't even understand what that would... You could buy one Tesla a day, Holy, f- holy one fuck. One model... That's ridiculous. Model, X, That's model ridiculous. 3 a day. Ridiculous. Um, That's crazy. In the meantime... Uh, Will obviously already obviously had, you know, other intentions and like a motive to tell her to go do that. Uh, while he was running the brewery during the day at night, he was throwing these decadent 
extra like just extravagant parties. Well, um, yeah. He would do them though below in the caves below his mansion. <gasps> oh, he fuck. would bring numerous prostitutes, tons of alcohol that was all provided by his brewing company because it was literally some of it was brewing night right next to them. You know, people just in the pool, people doing bowling alley, just like fuck yes, I want to be at one of these parties. Like holy yes. fuck. <laughs> I um, to be alive back then. Right. Uh, Will eventually fathered a son from one of these parties, obviously, because he would also get a... He would literally, specifically, it's noted mul- in multiple pa- like multiple articles I looked at, that they, he would specifically get prostitutes and, and invite them to the party. Like, like Whoa. yeah, and like, to like, you know, please him and his friends. Um, eventually, uh, he fathered a son through one of these prostitutes, um, however, there was no official documentation that this boy existed. Besides this, the legends are prevalent that there was a uh, illegitimate boy that was uh, born through this. And according to a St. Louis historian or Louis historian, I don't know. Saint, I'm not from St. Louis. Someone to call it St. Louis instead of St. Louis or whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't Isn't even know. St. Louis. I, I think, but don't people call it St. Louis? I don't know. Who gives a fuck? St. Louis sounds so lame. <laughs> I feel like St. Louis sounds it's like a place. It's St. Louis. St. Louis um, sounds like a weird church dude in the corner of the room. Right. Um. So according to Saint, a St. Louis historian named Joe Gibbons, when he interviewed a former nanny and chauffeur, chauffeur that worked for the mansion, both of them verified that a boy did exist who was housed in the attic quarters. Um, oh, God. They also noted that, sadly, he had Down syndrome. And as such, oh. because of the fact that he, one, was an illegitimate, illegitimate child of a prostitute, and then, two, had Down syndrome, he was a complete and total embarrassment to the family for the times and so was hid away in the attic for his entire life. Oh, my life. God. This is exactly like American Horror Story season one. Yeah, yeah. Like exactly when the yeah. when when uh the what's her name the greatest actress on earth. I know. Jessica. Yeah, Lambert. No, <laughs> what's her name? Jessica Lang. <laughs> Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Okay. Yeah. Lambert. <laughs> fucking Horror Story. <laughs> I got the first name. You got the last name. We the the. We got it together, though. Mm-hmm. But the first season, how she, like, rolls the ball to her yeah. son in, like, the attic. This the, totally yeah. reminds me of that. No, exactly. Like, I'm sure they got stuff from that. Um, So, yeah, just picture this, like, the family's moving on. Um, Time is passing. There's the illegitimate child in the attic. I I found one one YouTube video that named him Zeke. I don't know if that's that's real. None of the articles gave this this guy a name um, because oh, he actually okay. lives to be sort of old. Um, so I'm just going to keep referring to him as the illegitimate child who has Down syndrome. And I'm only doing that because he really doesn't have a name. I mean, if we would like to, if it's more like appropriate to just give him a name, we can call him Zeke. If we would like Up to. That's you, Corey. It's okay. your segment. Okay, I'll just call him. I'll just call him Zeke. It's quicker and it's more appropriate than to keep identifying him by his um down syndrome so finally um will the second and that's the guy we're talking about tired of lillian um his wife 
1908 filed for divorce, which literally over like the months that it happened, had the whole town cramming into courts every day to watch it. Everybody was like, oh, fuck, like, let's go get this fucking tea. Like, fuck, yes, bitch. Like, we're watching this shit. Um, and the front row is me and Corey. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, we're so fucking there in, like, a top oh. hat and, like, a fucking corset. Just, like, fuck you. Yeah. You have the top like, hat. I have the corset. Yeah. It's like the exorcism you mentioned a few episodes ago where it's, like, mm. she, like, she, like he runs we're like, out yeah. into, into, like, the, like, the street. Oh, I know. He, like, night. screams, like, like, Lucifer's name and, like, names off all of the demons of hell. And we're, like, yeah. And I'm, like, yeah, we're, like, the moms from Mean Girls, the video cam. We're like, yeah, sweetie. Everyone's like, who the fuck are they? And we're like, we're millennials. We're like, by the way, COVID-19, and we like fade out. <laughs> never forget. Um, never forget. Um, so during the trial, Lillian, who is the wife, almost lost custody. Like, li- listen to this, y'all. This is 1908. During the trial, Lillian almost lost custody of her son, William III, over simply over a photo of her smoking a cigarette. Oh my While God. the jury and the judge ignored all of the claims of Will's like hedonism and parties and sexual encounters with prostitutes and stuff like that. Like she literally, oh like literally, God. they pro- they provided one photo of her smoking a cigarette and she almost lost her son because of that. What type of like <laughs> fucking madman shit is this? Uh, oh god. Like I just sometimes you know when you're watching a show I'm like are they exaggerating like the misogyny? you know like you know it's just like are they exaggerating the misogyny to make a point or yeah. like was it really just always like that and from our podcast I'm like no it was really always like that just like See that Men hated women for some fucking reason. Like, I don't know. Just, like, fuck them. This reminds me of the the case. I I talked about this months ago with you. um, About, it was, like, a rape case of, like, I think it was 2019 or 2018. Yeah. Um, So it's super common. And the lawyer on, like, the other side held up the girl's, like, lace panties. And he was like, well, she wore lace panties that night. So oh she my. was asking to have sex. And people were like, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> like, it's, like, so bonkers to me. But, like, oh that God. shit still. That's like, like the peanut man's in the back. And he's like, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, equivalent to, like, a picture of this girl smoking a cigarette. Like, it's, oh my it's same, God. same, but different. Equally as appalling, just in different ways about how, like, what the fuck the whole situation fuck that. is. Fuck them. It's fine. Um, it's fine. We're fine. So on the last day of court, um, Lillian entered the courthouse in an all-black dress, which was the literally only time that she didn't wear lavender in public. Um, so fuck yeah, girl. Like, be dramatic as fuck. Um, yeah. The next decade proved hard for the Lemp family. William's mother died of... Uh, but, but okay, so just to, like... Add as a footnote, Lillian did Lillian did walk away with her son William the Third. Okay, that's good. Um, so, but they're sort of out of the picture for a bit. Um, the next decade proved hard for the Lent family. William's mother died of cancer. Um, who was the wife to the dude who shot himself? To daddy. Dude. To daddy. Grant. Yeah. <laughs> to daddy William. He was hemorrhaging money to the point that offices were closed and even moved into the mansion. Uh, William was also proving to be a pretty bad businessman as he 
would avoid his duties as head of the brewing company company he made no new innovations to the company he also even neglected the current uh, machinery that was there and just let it sort of fall to shit over the Ooh. over like the couple decades that he was in charge um which oh, was like a complete God. 180 from his father who was like one of the most innovative businessmen that I've sort of read about you know in that and- era and that's why he was the second favorite son instead of yeah. the first. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, like, William could tell about that. Like, William the first could tell about that. He even went so far as to build a country home and would often go there and escape for days and weeks at time just to escape his responsibilities. Oh, my God. He would just, like, seclude loser. himself out there and be like, whatever. I don't give a fuck. I'm doing what I want. Oh I have God. some money. I don't give a shit. Um, he also what remarried during this time from the time of like 1908 from the divorce to 1919 we're sort of skipping a decade here um prohibition came along in 1919 and pretty much all but ended the brewery uh the workers learned of the closing when they came to work one day and found the door shut and the gates locked oh my that was it God. that was it could you imagine if i like locked the warehouse one day i'm like surprise yeah, like, y'all are fired like fuck you asphalt jungle like fuck yeah i don't know when that book was written i think it was actually during this time or like the 18, late 1800s whatever. that's crazy yeah. um so we uh on march uh, 20th of 1920 elsa lemp wright william's sister what she was a super wealthy heiress in st louis she also shot herself just like her father had years before. God. And it is said that she did so because she was in a like abusive and horrible marriage. Uh, so uh, like no no beef on her, like that poor woman. Like poor I girl. feel bad for her. Well back to William. Uh, he liquidated the assets of the plant and the buildings because this again, this whole plant like occupied about five city blocks. Um he got uh, a good amount of money, but he basically got Five hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars. That and it was estimated that at the time, what he sold was worth seven million just years before. But it was only worth that much because of prohibition. Like it mm. depreciated that much in just like a year or two of time. So he got half. He got a little over half a million for what was estimated to be worth seven million, just years but, before. But we still know if we use the inflation calculator, that would be a bonkers like a shit a shit fucking ton of money like if you ever ran out of money after that like you are a piece of shit i hope you die yeah you are the problem (laughs) like you are you are the problem (laughs) go buy like 10 google stocks and call it a day motherfucker um william slipped into depression acting much like his father william senior um he became increasingly nervous and erratic he shunned, he shunned public life and often complained of ill health. On December 29th of 1922, uh, so just two or two and a half, three years later, William shot himself, but shot oh. himself in the heart with a 38 caliber pistol revolver, the same his dad did, in the very same spot of the mansion that his dad, his oh. dad did 18 years before. So Freaky. William II took his life on the main level of the mansion, just inside the entrance to the left. At the time oh of his death, God. this room served as his, as his office. So he literally did it in the same exact spot of the house that his dad That's did. That's spooky. In the and same way. And now we're way. talking about 
Three suicides. One dad, two two out yep. of his four kids have not he, killed themselves. Exactly. Like, fuck. Um, Spooky. Also, the grandfather had died in the house. Death, death, death. Yep. Um, two <gasps> seconds. Three deaths in four the de- same house. Or three deaths in the same house with these the sister dying in a different place. So, of the two remaining brothers uh, of this family, so... There were there was William Jr. who was a brother, and then one of the sisters we talked about who killed herself, and then we have two remaining brothers. One had entered into the life of seclusion as of 1911 and was living in Missouri. This guy literally got rich for some other way, also because he grew up in a rich family. Went moved to Missouri, and in 1911, just decided to live a life of seclusion. Okay. Well, okay. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> to each its own. Right? Yeah. And then Char- uh, the other brother, by the name of Charles, however, moved was a banker. He had moved away, like, at the same time or, like, a decade earlier. But he ever he moved back into the family mansion after uh, William Jr.'s death, William II's death, uh, or suicide. Um, he moved back into the family mansion with two servants and then with an illeg- and then back in with uh, to take care of Zeke. Oh, okay. As well. And just to add to all the shit and bring back up the William the Third, in 1943, yet another tragedy occurred when William the Third, who went away with Lillian, uh, died yeah. of a heart attack at the age of 42. <laughs> Ooh. So again, we're jumping yeah, from yeah, 1911 yeah. to the 40s um, because we're going to sort of jump here a couple times. So between 1911... And 1940s, basically, they're all living in the they're living in the house. It's the two servants and Charles and and Zeke. Over the years, Charles too became old, became like an odd figure as he got older. Um, he developed a, a morbid fear of germs, and he had he developed an obsessive compulsive behavior towards germs. So he began to wear gloves at all times and washed his hands incessantly. Um, while he was doing this, uh, Zeke. The illegitimate child, uh, who is now in his thirties, died um, in the mansion in the Aww. attic. And the entire time, it was it's assumed that he was kept in the attic. Um, shortly after his death, Charles became uh, the fourth member of the family to commit suicide. First, ah. okay, so like trigger warning against dogs, okay? Oh no! First, he took his beloved Doberman Pinscher to the basement of the mansion. And then shot, and then shot him. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Thanks. I literally um, had to move my, yeah. my headset out of the way. He then went to the second story, and then shot himself. Charles was discovered on May 10th of 1949 by one of his staff, still holding a 38 caliber Army Colt revolver in his right hand. Through the uh, okay, I'm gonna talk about the dog again really quickly, and it's really sad actually. Uh, so Channing isn't listening to this, but through the dog was shot in the date basement. The dog was actually found halfway up the stairs, dead. Yeah, oh, li- you're you're I can't glad listen, I can't listen everyone's to listening deaths, right now. You are glad you missed that last part about the dog. Yeah, um, I can't listen to it's, pet deaths because it's to fucking, lose his death made me want to kill myself. It's so fucking it's fucking sad. Edwin, who is actually the hermit that I was talking about that lives in Missouri, the other brother. He yeah. also passed away, uh, uh, or so, uh, this is actually sort of funny. Edwin uh, passed away quietly of natural causes at the age of 90 in 1970. 
<laughs> so he Good for him. right go him go edwin fuck yeah he's um, like i'm gonna fucking make it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he was he's actually like pretty rich he has servants shit like that According to Edwin's last witches, wishes, by the uh, witches. witches, which is actually, this is actually sort of uh, annoying to me. His butler burned all of the paintings that the Lemps had collected throughout his life, as well as the priceless uh, family documents and artifacts. So literally he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to die. Lame. Everybody else has killed themselves. So all the stuff that I've inherited, all of the numerous artifacts and art and sculptures and beautiful things and expensive things that our family owns i'm gonna fucking burn it when i die and so they do so like edwin like good for you for living but like you're a fucking bitch (laughs) yeah but you're a bitch for living yeah so while all that uh goes up in a blazing bonfire so does the family line the lemp family line um so that's your answer is there are no surviving uh family members Everyone's Kay. dead. The beer place is dead. Everything's yeah. sad. And now there's demons. Now probably. there's demons. So four people have killed themselves in this fucking house. Okay. And so two people. So sure demons. Oh, three people have killed themselves in this house and two people have died in this house. So five people have died in this entire house. Okay. But, civi- but specifically three key number of have suicides. So it's suicide. extra spooky. Yeah. Extra spooky. Extra negative energy. Um, so let's get to the house's history and the hauntings. After Charlie's death, the mansion became a boarding house and the stories of ghosts soon followed. The place became such a hotspot for paranormal activity that it shut down as the word of mouth spread so much about the scary shit that was going on in this house that people didn't want to stay there and the place couldn't continue as a boarding house. Um, however, um, so I guess during this time over, like that's in the fifties, the early fifties. So in the next two decades, the house sort of dilapidates a shit ton and becomes just like this spooky abandoned, like fuck you mansion in St. Louis. Um, however, in 1975, the mansion was saved when a guy by the name of Dick Pointer, lol, um, <laughs> purchased it. <laughs> Poor guy. That's um, so mean. <laughs> Dick Pointer? Dick Pointer. Damn it. Immediately, they began to renovate the house, turning it into a restaurant and an inn. Um, But Hmm. soon after, the workers and tenants began to, again, start stories about the place being haunted. So let's go through some, like, basic bitch shit. There were a lot of ghostly knockings, phantom footsteps, apparitions floating around the corners and down hallways, voices and whispers echoing throughout the house. Uh, doors another would, club. Yeah, another club. Doors lock and unlock themselves. Lights flicker Ew. on and off constantly. And the piano would play by itself when nobody was in the room. Also, um, ew. Also, fucking ew. So. What song, though? Right? I don't <laughs> know. I never got. Oh, shit. Fuck that. Before it's even made. <laughs> <laughs> or about the time that it's made, I guess. Isn't that a 70s song? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mansion is uh, obviously said to be haunted by the Lemp family and that there are three main areas of activity. I mean, most of the house, there's activity going on, but there are three main areas. Uh, the first is the stairway. The second is the attic. And then the third is what the workers refer to as the gates of hell. Oh, my Lord. Um, so I'm sorry I'm going to blue balls y'all with that. I tried to search for shit about the gates of hell, and I couldn't really find much, but I'll, I'll get back to it in a little bit. 
um, but it is the area of the basement that surrounds the entrance to the caves below that they used to store the beer in. So, Ew. like, fuck that. Like, you that don't even need, like, you know, if that was the, you know, if that was, like, the basement area that surrounded the caves where, like, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to give me a blowjob, I would still be fucking terrified of the fucking cave entrance. Like, fuck yeah. that. It would be um, a scary boner. It would be a scary boner. <laughs> so, um, this let's talk about the stairway. Or, sorry, uh, the stairway first. So, on the stairway, there's many cold spots and stink spots that occur on the stairway, demons, Stank. along with people feeling ill as they walk on, up and down the stairs. Um, many pictures have been taken there. Um, and in those pictures, there are countless orbs and little streaks of light. As well as there's one specific photo that you can look at online today, where if you zoom in on it, in, it's sort of like somebody that's on like the second floor or like a mid-floor landing that's taking a picture looking down at the first floor and there's people walking up the stairwell from the first floor to that landing. And if you look onto the side in the middle of the stairwell, it'll there's like, you know, the railings on the side. You can see the face of a boy. And everybody Ew. who was there that day attests that there were no children there present. Ew. Yeah. What should I search to find this picture? Um, uh, I would search a, a Lemp Mansion a stairway picture um let me i might have to send it to you because i searched it okay yes uh i searched that if you go if you look at um if it shows up on google images it should be the second one uh the second row on the left where there's people that are like about walking up if you click on that (gasps) yeah can you see it yeah his eyes are lit up and he's like in the corner yeah uh uh-huh so people so people first they point out a lot of orbs that are in the picture like it's creepy i'm like legitimately scared yeah looking at that that's like the worst feeling it's an evil it's a little it's an evil face of a kid looking up yeah it's not i'm gonna send that picture to you at like three o'clock in the morning (laughs) (laughs) it's fine (laughs) so that's the stairway um, while it has the most activity, it doesn't have a crazy-ass crazy story surrounding it. That's just where most people will see shit going on. Um, the second one is the attic. So the attic is, uh, it is believed that the the boy with Down syndrome, so Zeke, um, haunts that attic as he was forced to live there his whole life. And again, I mentioned that he lived there into his 30s and then died. Oh. Um, so people will put toys up in the attic and then come back hours later to see them moved in different positions and then even specifically positions suggesting that someone is playing with them or was playing with them. Um, at many at many times, people driving or walking by the house have also noticed that a boy has been staring or like waving at them from the attic and that it's supposedly supposed to be Zeke. Um, other times, people who have passed by the attic or have passed by the room, like, get this. It's specifically one of the stories I read was a little creepy. People were walking on the stairwell, and they heard echoing from the attic above, come play with me. No. Like, fuck that. Fuck that shit. No. That's creepy. Fuck you, that's, Zeke. That's creepy as fuck. <laughs> That's, I would I would probably pee my pants. Yeah, I'd be like, I would. I'm done. Yeah, I'd be like, this is a mistake. I know I came here to be scared, but I was way scared. Yeah, it's all fun and games until a demon says, "Come play with me." Yeah, fuck that Ew, shit. You pervert. 
Um, That's scary. There's also one other little story. Um, so, like, other things that I've read are, like, other basic shit. So, you, like, people will see, like, there's supposedly an old man dressed in white, which reminds me of Chana in Eyes <gasps> Visions. No, no. Oh. Fuck you, Corey. I have thought about that. I'm not joking. I literally have not thought about that in, like, a year. Oh, Fuck my you. God. You I'm bitch. never driving by that place ever again. Fuck that. If oh y'all God. don't know what we're talking about, go back and go listen, listen to our... To, like, I forget what episodes epi- it would be. Like, like episode, like, three. <laughs> it was so long ago. No, it wasn't... It was. It we was saw post, a ghost. It was post episode eleven. It was post Black Eyed Children. It's episode sixty seven. There's fifty five like, <laughs> episodes for you to get through to find it, but go find it. Yeah, it, it was y'all. Like we Corey, we saw a Corey ghost, Bakes or literally a a senile. Like not 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 being jokingly. No, we saw a ghost. Like either we saw a ghost or we saw a senile man that would walk out of a nursing home at. 1 p.m. to 2 or 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. Like no joke. You know, we saw a ghost. Like it was three, three different three, people saw it at three, three different Yeah, nights. at three different nights. Like fuck that shit. <laughs> and and all of us wouldn't tell each other about it. Then when we all finally said it, yeah. everyone was driving home from my house. That's of like course. that's like bigger evidence ghost. of ghosts than my mission stories. Like fuck that that's shit. That's <laughs> almost bigger evidence than like my story, which is mm-hmm. the first Halloween bonus episode part two. Mm, listen mm-hmm. to that. But no, like that, because because it's three separate people on three different occasions that's seen it. It's not yeah. just one person saying, "Oh, this scary thing happened," but it's three people who saw the exact. Not even thinking like, it's scary, but thinking scene. it was weird. Yeah, and then we all mentioned it, and then it got scary, and now yeah. I'm scared. Fuck that shit. About it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they mentioned like a, a guy dressed in white walking around. There's other mentions of just like whispers and echoes and screams and stuff like that, or like feeling like they're being watched. But let's uh, that's a good leeway into this next story. So in the girls' bathroom on the main floor, where there's a bar right now and like a like a restaurant and stuff, many women report a sense of being watched by Ew. like watched when they go into the restroom. Um, Ew. There's a specific uh, a yeah right no literally. There's a specific um, story about this one woman who swears that while she was peeing in a stall, she oh, saw the no. image out of the corner of the eye. She saw the image of a man poking his head over the top of the stall to look at her. And so, she, you know, you know how you're just like you're just looking down and not paying attention. But for a second out of the corner not of her me. eye, she's like, someone's peeking over the stall to look at me, that fucking pervert. So she said she turned up to look at the person as they immediately dropped their head. Ew. And, you know, you, you could assume if this was a real life thing going on that you still wouldn't really know who that person was. And you would just catch like a blur of them ducking their head, you know, below the stall. So she says that she went out into the bar and that night there was the bartender two other men and her and that was it and so she came out and she was like who the fuck was looking at at me in the fucking stall i hope you saw something fucking worth your while you fucking son of a bitches and they were like dude we've been sitting here the whole time and even the bartender was like ma'am they've been here the whole time that was Mr. Or that was uh Wilson or William the first, the the Playboy guy who was fucking what? around with the prostitutes the, the whole daddy. time. He's Ew. like you. He, he he was like he was like, ma'am, you saw a ghost. Like for reals, nobody was looking at you. Like I'm sorry, but like to respect, like I'm we're respecting you. But that was a ghost that you saw. Like, isn't that fucking creepy? <laughs> I don't know what's worse in that situation. I know, right? Like, really I don't. Like I would rather have a real life person looking- look at me. Because at least you can like beat 
the shit out of a real life person. Right? Like, you can't beat the shit out of a demon looking at you pee. Uh-uh. Uh, see, the stories like these is why I'm like a total psychopath at bars. Like anytime I go to a bath, like in the bathroom, I am like a lunatic public peeing at a bar because I am so hyper aware of some like fucker watching me pee that I'm like a, st- I'm like yeah, literally fuck a psychopath. That. Fuck that. <laughs> Cause, um, like, it just happens, especially the bars. We like sound doesn't even have like doors and have their bath or not sound. Sun trap doesn't like their bathrooms are like Oh, that's true. But that's more earth. fun because it's like everyone's like, We're queer as fuck, who cares? I guess <laughs> But then but also you have that idea. lesbian that try to take you home and rape you. Jesus but fucking also, Christ. I got roofied. I'm one, almost one hundred percent. Literally. <laughs> like Jesus. No, and like y'all, we, we say that drunk and laughing. We're not really joking. I got at roofied. All. Like, There's seriously. almost no way I didn't. Seriously. I, I I drank like half of what I drank tonight and I cannot remember one thing from that night and woke up yeah. the night, and Corey literally had to hold me while you threw a, up on a toilet because yeah. he was so afraid I was going to die. And yeah. I drank like literally. Ha- okay, whatever. We've yeah. gone through it a lot. It's fine. We, we, we may mention a couple times. <laughs> um, okay. I, we're still. So shooketh. last thing is a little bit fucking like lackluster blue balls. Um, so I, I searched multiple places and articles and Google searched in many different ways. The gates of hell lent mansion. I couldn't find anything like a story or a specific, specific thing mentioning it. The only thing is just a generic thing that you would assume is in the basement is people need to go down there for storage. Um, that's like related to when they're working at the bar or the restaurant that is the current inn of Lent Mansion. Um, and when they go down there, they ex- they feel one extremely uneasy. Um, two, there's a lot of iteration, like you know, like people being like, okay, of course, if you feel like this is an entrance near a cave, you're gonna feel uneasy. But it's like it's like tripled of like holy fuck like someone one is watching me and somebody doesn't want me to be down here or somebody wants me down here oh, so they can God. like take me away and drag me into the caves to never be seen again Ooh. um like again you could just assume, assume that that's people's imaginations running wild but the, the only attest like i couldn't find a cool or crazy story of like an entity or something like that but it was just like every time people go down there like most people will quit because they're told to go down there alone um, or the like, or people who work there will try and be like, go down there, like, and use the buddy system and be like, I'm not going down there alone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's it. Ew. But just imagine like you need to go into a basement one of a place, but then two, there's barred off, like doored off entrances to an entire cave system, an no. entire cave no. system with caverns no. that have fit a large pool an auditorium like oh my god like holy fucking shit like it, it must be Bye. huge down there like fuck that that people don't use anymore like fuck that no sir okay i'm done so does this <laughs> does this whole like mansion and like cavern system exist today like can we go visit it it does i don't i'm sure you could go visit it through some ways but i didn't really look up if you like through this mansion i'm sure it's barred off and covered but i'm sure there's like tours that you could do that would be a connecting cavern system but i don't know it might it might all be barred off by now i don't know that's spooky yeah fuck that so yeah that's the haunting of lent mansion isn't that some fun history yeah it's so fun yeah Sorry, s'mores is like 
thinking about jumping. But yeah, the top isn't that picture right with now. that boy in the corner just like fucking creepy? That's, as that's fuck? one of like the darkest pictures. It's like you look at it and like as soon as you notice him, I literally had a bad feeling like down my spine, like yeah. from my like, head to my toes, like evil, like evil, uh-huh. evil, like. Yeah, it's not like cool. that. Yeah, that, that was ugh. Uh-uh. All right. Well, let's move into my segment. Are you ready? Do you need a pee break or anything before my very long segment? No, I'm good right now. I might need a pee break halfway through. Okay, everybody. It is what you have been waiting for. It is the final part of Charles Manson and the Manson family, y'all. I'm sure some of you guys are pretty done. You guys are probably ready for me for me to move on to regular murders. And you know what? So am I. Today was the first day where I was researching Charles Manson, and I was like, S'mores? Are you okay? S'mores just decided to jump on my head from afar, but it's fine. That's fine. Anyways, today was the very first day where I was pretty done with Charlie Manson just because I now have – Probably between 22 to 26 hours of research easily done with Manson. I'm a little burnt, so I'm sure y'all are too. So this is going to be a really exciting episode. We're going to get we're gonna get through it. It's really fun. And then we get to move on to murder, to like regular murders and stuff. So yes, everybody, here we go. Yeah. The, the finale episode. Dun, dun, dun. So last week... Or I guess if you haven't heard any of my Charles Manson episodes yet, go back, listen to them, because otherwise this episode's going to be extremely confusing for you. But if you're caught up, here we are. So the Tate and LaBianca murders changed California forever. Now, these two murders are often looked at as the events that ended the flower power hippie movement, and this was a turning point for true crime. Now, you have to remember, just to kind of put this... uh, S'mores. Oh my god. Sorry, she's like attacking the fuck out of my ponytail. Now, the these murders, like these events, it's like the in a sense, and this was before Ted Bundy. This is before Jonestown. So a lot of these like infamous serial killers and like cults and murderers that I have talked about up to this point happened after Manson. And this was the end of the 60s. Like, this is, like, the peak of Vietnam. Like, if you watch Mad Men, which is kind of a weird thing to talk about right now, but if you watch Mad Men, Mad Men does a really great job of showing you, like, how the purity of the 50s, like, the ignorant bliss of, like, the 50s, the beginning of the 60s, um, changes throughout the entire 60s and how almost, like, season by season it's getting darker and things are getting more intense and, and... just different and specifically like the Sharon Tate and La Bianca murders is really the turning point for um, history and for like the true crime and for the hippie movement. It is like the end of the flower power movement. It's a big bummer. Now, two days after the Tate and La Bianca murders, LAPD ruled out any connection between the murders. They actually didn't think that it was caused by the same people or persons they thought it was just copycat murders off of each other. They did not. Re- they did not think there's any connection whatsoever. Now, a few days after that, on August 16th, LAPD ended up raiding Spawn Ranch and they ended up arresting Charlie Manson and the family 
for an entirely unrelated crime of just stealing cars. Whoa. Now, if you remember from the last episode, I was talking about Helter Skelter, the race war, and they were preparing for this race this race war. And in preparation, uh, they were taking old cars. the desert and i guess all of these cars that they were remaking into dune buggies were stolen vehicles so people caught on that it was like the manson stealing like old vw bugs and whatnot so they got arrested so the entire family is arrested but released almost immediately and the charges were dropped um as soon as that happened the family left spawn ranch and that's when they really started staying in their desert home that I, again i mentioned last episode now a few months went by no arrests were made in L.A. L.A. was just in constant fear that somebody was next. Like, if you look at or if you uh, watch documentaries or read through articles, you can see, like, specifically celebrities in L.A. were shooketh at the Sheriff Tate murders and everything was changing. Everybody was getting bodyguards. Everyone was getting security. People were moving. People were moving out of state. Like, everyone in L.A. was in terror, but specifically, like, celebrities, because Sharon Tate was killed. Like, this is yeah Sharon Tate. Like, she was the 60s celebrity. Now, in early October, the Manson family was arrested again for car theft again. This time, however, some of the family members were never going to get out of jail because the LaBianca team, they noticed a weird connection between the writing that was left on the LaBianca's wall and the writing left on Gary Hinman's wall. Now, if you remember Gary Hinman's murder from last episode, which I'm co- I'm sure Corey doesn't because we were so drunk. I do not. Um, this, <laughs> this dude, Bobby, who is part of the motorcycle gang, the Straight Satans, ended up murdering Gary Hinman for, for mescaline. Um, after he was Damn. done marrying... Sorry, murdering Gary Hinman, he left like pig on the wall, like the blood, oh, like him. Okay, I do remember that. Did. Yeah. Um. So, and the La Biancas had Helter Skelter instead of Helter Skelter and Rise on their wall. So the La Bianca detectives were like, "Wait a minute! Like this handwriting's relatively similar, and it's in blood. Like maybe these are related. Maybe it's a copycat crime. But you know what? Let's look into this." And they also, at the same time, as soon as they made this connection, realized that Bobby's girlfriend, her name was Kitty Lutzinger, she was in this weird-ass cult family that they literally just arrested for car theft. So now they had this idea of this weird connection with the blood writing between these two completely, what they thought up to this point was were unrelated murders, and this family that they just arrested, or these weird-ass hippies. So while detectives were working to try to connect this group to any of the crimes, because they didn't know, they thought, like, this could be a weird coincidence, this could be a copycat, or maybe this is related. So they were just, you know, doing their normal detective work, trying to connect the dots. While they were doing that, Susan Adkins, who was arrested because they the car theft stuff, she just started talking to her cellmates and all about the Hinman murder. She gave all of these details to her cellmates. She told them... All of this shit that no one would know unless they were the murderer or the police. She pretty much would tell anybody who would listen. If any person was like, yo, Susan, tell me about the Hinman murder. She'd be like, oh, let me give you every single, like, minute-by-minute detail of the Hinman murder. And then she'd go into Charlie's philosophies. She would go into what the family would do, the drug, the the alcohol, the shrooms, like, you name it. Like, she was just, like, an open book. Like, she would not shut up to these cellmates. (laughs) 
So her cellmates were like. Do not have her like, in your cult. <laughs> yeah. Her cellmates were like, yo, like, this is a little weird. So they went to LAPD and they're like, Susan's saying that she killed this dude named Gary Hinman. And LAPD was like, what? Like, we already arrested and tried Bobby, whatever the fuck his last name was, for Gary Hinman's death. Like, this is kind of interesting. And we already have this connection that we're working on in our head, connecting this weird cult to the LaBianca murders and the Gary Hinman murders. Maybe this bitch, Susan Atkins, could connect us even further to, like, all these other murders. So they brought Susan Atkins from her questionings, and Susan Atkins was like, yeah, I was there for the Hinman case. And so they're like, okay, you're charged for the Hinman murder. So they booked her. Around this exact same time, detectives in the LaBianca case were interviewing Al Springer, who is a member of the Straight Satan's motorcycle gang that I mentioned last episode that was involved with Gary Hinman's death. Now, Al Springer recruited by Charles Manson to protect them from the Black Panther because they because Manson thought they killed Crow, which was, like, the beginning of, like, the crazy-ass summer of 69. Yes. Again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to last episode. So, Corey, go back to last episode. Okay. Anyways, uh, Springer told detectives that Manson had bragged to him in August um, at Spawn Ranch about knocking off five people. Um, another member of the Straight Satans, his name was Danny DiCarlo, he told police that he also heard Manson brag about killing five people and quotes we got five piggies and that charles manson even went up to him and he was asking how do you properly decompose a body so on november 18th in 1969 the district attorney and his staff selected um, vincent bugliosi to be the chief prosecutor of the law of the tate and labianca case and um, the day after that um, he actually joined a search at Spawn Ranch to see if they could find any clues, and that's when they found a twenty-two. That's when they found, sorry, multiple twenty-two caliber bullets and shell casings from a canyon, um, used by family members for target practice. And that twenty-two caliber casings and stuff matched some murder weapons in the Tate and LaBianca murders. So now remember how I said that Susan Atkins was, you know, just barely booked for Hinman's murder because she, like, wouldn't shut the fuck up about that murder to her cellmates. Well, yes. she was transferred to a new jail, got new roommates, cellmates, and she was like, hey, like, not only did I just commit these Hinman murders, but, like, I also killed this bitch named Sharon Tate. And she started talking about these, like, horrific details of how she killed Sharon Tate and all of these people she told them exactly how she stabbed sharon tate how many times she, she killed sharon tate what she said to sharon tate how she tasted sharon tate's uh, baby's blood no. because sharon tate was eight and a half months pregnant side note susan atkins just barely gave birth to a baby herself so she is perfectly yeah. aware of that mother yeah, baby bond her. that you we, have we, when you're first yeah. born we curse i her hate name. Yeah. I hate Susan Atkins. If I remember one thing from the other <laughs> from your Which segment the other time is how much we fucking hate that fucking bitch. Yeah, we hate Susan Atkins the vampire yeah. being. She was like the absolute worst. Fuck her. So she after she explained all those like horrific details of the murder and how what like texted what Patricia Krenwinkel like all of them. She explained, you know, who was there, 
what happened. She explained Helter Skelter, a.k.a. the race war. She explained uh, her old homie Bobby and the Hinman murders and how, like, the Sharon Tate or the Tate and the LaBianca murders were also used as, like, copycat cover-up murders. Like, everything. Charlie's philosophy, like, you kind of name it. She was just a fucking blabbermouth. Like, like what Corey said a few minutes ago, she is, like, the worst person to have in your cult because she just would not shut the fuck up. And her cellmates were literally like, what the actual fuck is this <laughs> bitch telling us? So they went to the police, and they said, yo, crazy-ass Susan Atkins over there not only explained the Hinman murder, but she also just started talking about the Tate murder and hinted at knowing about the LaBianca murder. So police were like, huh, what? Like, we just thought we had this girl for the Tate and LaBianca murder, but this kind of makes sense based off of what, what we're also getting from the straight Satan motorcycle gang. So based on her multiple confessions to her variety of cellmates and interviews with a couple other Manson family members that I'm not going to go through because, you know, time. And also based off of interviews with a variety of motorcycle gang members, LAPD was able to identify the five people who participated in the Tate and LaBianca murders, which are Susan Atkins, Patricia Quenwinkle, Lisa Van Houten, Linda Casbian, and Charles, a.k.a. Tex Watson. Now, Van Houten was picked up for questioning in California. Watson was arrested by a local sheriff in Texas. Patricia Quenwinkle was apprehended in, in Alabama. And Casbian voluntarily surrendered to local police in New Hampshire. Now, while all of this was going on, detectives were still collecting evidence and tips. A 10-year-old who lived next to Sharon Tate's house found a bloody 22 caliber gun that Watson used in a uh, sorry that Watson used to kill the uh, people that were involved in the Tate murders and then he threw in a bush after he was done those 22 caliber gun um, casings and bullets matched the ones found on Spawn Ranch fingerprints were found at the Tate crime scene that later connected Patricia Quenwinkle and Tex Watson to the actual scene um, a local ABC television news crew found a bloody clothing in a bush near the Tate residence. Bloody knives were just found all around the property. In fact, there's even a bloody knife found inside of the couch cushions behind on like on the couch or inside of the couch behind when Sharon Tate was murdered. Where, where, whoa, I'm so drunk. Okay. Uh, Basically, what happened was Susan Atkins was stabbing Sharon Tate so many times that she ended up losing track of her knife because Damn. the knife ended up in the pillows behind Sharon Tate. What the which fuck? Which is bonkers to me that you could lose a knife in the middle of stabbing because you were so, uh, um, like, uh, I guess, emotionally invested in the stabbing yeah. and bloodthirsty. Uh, now, the Tate crime scene and the LaBianca crime scene, like, it was messy. It was messy. It was full of clues. It was not taken care of. Like, clearly, these were crime scenes of either, like, wild amateurs who committed these crimes or people that just didn't, that didn't care. And if you go back to the last episode, I talked about how all these people were either high as fuck off of Belladonna, so they probably didn't even know what they were doing, or on acid or shrooms. Like, these people were just crazy-ass hippies murdering. Like, they didn't know. They didn't care. It wasn't precise. Like, these weren't, like, serial killer killings. These were just bloodthirsty, ravenous, like, animalistic murders. Like, it was not calculated. It was, it was just disgusting and dirty and filthy and messy and brutal. 
And so there was blood and the weapons and clothing everywhere on all of the crime scenes. And so all while Susan Adkins was telling anybody who had listened about them and while the straight Satans were talking to investigators and other, ma- or and other family members were talking to investigators, detectives were just finding more and more and more clues and tips to use for the eventual trial. Now detectives at this point, they had six in custody. They had some evidence. They were getting some testimonies, but they knew they would really need more in-depth testimonies from the people that were present in the actual murders. So the DA's office first reached a deal with the attorney for Susan Atkins. Um, It was a promise to not seek death penalty in return for a testimony before the grand jury, plus consideration of further reduction in charges for for her continued cooperation during the trial. She ended up, like, not getting this deal, but that's, like, side point right there. But anyways, she rolled up to the jury on December 5th, and she told the grand jury that she was, in quotes, in love with the reflection of Charles Manson, Mm. and there was no limit for what she would do for him. And then, in an emotionless voice, she described the horrific events in detail, starting with the early morning hours of August 9th at the Tate residence. She told of Tate pleading for her life and quote saying, please let me go. All I want to have is my baby. She described the murders. She told, um, you know, the returning of the car and stopping along a side street to wash off the bloody clothes with a garden hose. She told of Manson's reaction to the return of spawn ranch. She told them, um, that upon returning from Spawn's ranch, she just felt like she was dead inside, that she no longer felt alive anymore, that she considered her, considered herself dead from that point on. After 20 minutes of deliberations, the grand jury returned with murder indictments against Charles Manson, Tex Watson, um, Patricia Quenwinkle, Susan Adkins, Linda Casbian, and Leslie Van, Van Houten. Now, Damn, Linda Casbian... she's just like... Why is she just so set on saying everything she's just like it's i guess you have to remember this has been less than two years since charles manson got out of jail like it's been two years of like condensed drug usage and manipulation and brainwashing for everybody so it's like these people like they're just walking emotionless psychopaths at this point like they're not people anymore like, Susan Atkins is a fucking monster at this point. Yeah, fuck so that So, like, bitch. she did not care. Like, everything she said, she did not give a fuck about. Like, her describing the taste of Sharon Tate's blood, or Sharon Tate's baby's blood. Was, like, she didn't care. Yeah, she it was more like a care. pragmatic thing than, like, Yeah, she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, yesterday I went to Taco Bell and I got a bean burrito. Like, sh- that was as much emotion as she put into her describing how she licked and tasted Sharon Tate's baby's blood. Like, it's the same. It did not matter to her anymore. Tomato, tomato. Like, it was the same. Now, Linda Casbian, she, if you remember from last episode, she did not participate in any of the murders. She witnessed them, but she did not participate. Um, She was brought to the Tate murders. She was, you know, told to be on lookout, and she stood there and heard all the horrific screams. She ended up going inside of the Tate house and trying to stop the murders from happening because she's so horrified. Tex told her to fuck off pretty much. So she ran back outside and she had this moment where she was like, should I leave or should I stay? And then she thought of her baby back on the ranch and she thought to herself, if I leave, they will kill my baby. Like they will kill my baby and they will kill me. So she stayed and she stood there at the car and listened to the screams. 
Damn. So she, and then she, the second night, went to the La Bianca murders. Like, she heard it all. Like, she was a witness to all of it, but she never committed, and she was just absolutely horrified at the entire situation. So because of all of that, and she knew, like, how fucked up the whole thing was, the minute she got arrested, she went to the police, and she was like, hey, I can tell you any detail you want. I know everything in exchange for immunity. And because she didn't kill anybody and because she was – she truly was aware of like what the fuck was going on yeah. and she didn't want to commit any murders the the detectives did grant her immunity oh wow um so she ended up being the main witness for the entire case now at the beginning uh, manson was actually granted permission to act as has his own attorney but as it went closer and closer to trial the judge removed that because manson was clearly crazy as fuck and he was obviously going to like just filibuster the whole case in a sense. So just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. So nothing could get done. So he uh, was quickly removed as his own attorney, which Thank I thought was God. interesting because, you know, Ted Bundy uh, yeah, was his own. He was attorney. allowed so to do that. Yeah. It's like a, like an egotistical uh, f- nightmare situation. The trial started on June 15th, 1970 for Manson, Krenwinkel, Atkins and Vaughn Houghton. The three girls, this is, like, one of the most infamous pictures and, like, scenes from, like, the Manson trial. But the three girls walked into the court, like, linked and, like, their arms linked, wearing these pretty 60s dresses, singing songs that Manson wrote. Wow. They're smiling and laughing. And the media just ate that shit up. These three, like, emotionless girls walking into a fucking trial about murdering seven people. Charles Manson, he entered doing his, like, infamous crazy-ass stare at the reporters because he was always known, like, doing flashing crazy eyes at people and shit because he was a, like, 5'2 lunatic. Anyways, the rest of the Charles, yeah, the rest of small. Manson family members, he's, he's, he's a nugget. The rest of the, Man- the Manson members were outside of the court holding rallies and protests, talking about how the establishment was trying to to punish these free-thinking individuals, blah, 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 all that shit. Now, Tex, he was still in Texas, and his trial would start after they extradited him from Texas, but worried that the extradition process was going to take, you know, six, seven, eight months, they decided to charge Manson and the girls first and Tex later, just so there wasn't, like, a delay in the um, trial, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So that's why Tex was charged later, which makes sense, because they just wanted to put Manson in jail ASAP pretty much now on February July 24th the very first day of testimonies Charles Manson appeared in court with a ginormous X carved into his forehead it was all bloody and raw damn yeah he issued a statement through his Manson followers who were still outside or inside of the courthouse saying that he considered himself inadequate or sorry that Society considered him inadequate and incompetent to speak to defend himself. Therefore, he had X'd himself from the establishment world. Like the ultimate hippie sentence I could possibly say. Over the following weekend, the Manson girls rolled up to their court um, with also X's carved into their foreheads. And then following that, every other Charles Manson family member had X's in their forehead. Now, over the next few months, the only thing the world would talk about was Charles Manson, the Manson girls, and Helter Skelter. 
Meanwhile, like the trial had its fair share of just ongoing disruptions made by either the family members or Charles Manson himself. First of all, the family members, they would constantly threaten it, threaten witnesses, and they turned against ex-family members who were going to potentially testify against Manson. And they went to the point where they ended up spiking a cheeseburger full of LSD and they drugged the shit out of Ruth Ann Morehouse <sighs> um, to make her either afraid or unable to testify because their hope was to almost ascend to kill her with LSD. Plot twist, she was still able to testify. She just tripped balls for like weeks. Um, they lit ex-members' cars on fire. They lit their houses on fire. They beat the shit out of ex-members. They, they threatened their lives. They were doing everything they could to try to prevent any ex-member from talking about the manipulation that Charles Manson was able to do. But the current members didn't look at it as manipulation. They just looked at it as Charlie speaking the truth. And the ex-members were just corrupted by you know, the establishment of the world. Now, in addition to threatening and harming witnesses, they were harassing... This is awful. They were harassing the friends and families of the murder victims. Aww. So they would, like, look at Sharon Tate's, like, parents and sister and be like, fuck you, you piece <sighs> of shit. Like, say awful things like that. And, like, look at, like, Roman Polanski and be like, your wife deserved to die. Like, they would, like, look at, oh like, Leno and, like, Rosemary's 15-year-old and 18-year-old children and be like oh, like, your parents were awful people, blah, blah, blah. Like, they would say, like, the worst possible things you can imagine to say to these poor people's, like, to, to just these poor people that were, that had to just go through their loved ones being brutally murdered. I mean, it was awful. It was, like, the, it was just awful what the current family members were doing. Now, the media, meanwhile, was just romanticizing the shit out of Manson. You, a lot of people would understand this, on how uh, people romanticize the shit out of Ted Bundy. Like, Corey and I have been guilty about this, being like, yeah, Ted Daddy, shit like that. But, you know, like, the media tends to romanticize, like, these evil characters that we can barely comprehend, and Manson was no different. Media was just romanticizing the hell out of Manson and the Manson family, so much so that President Nixon got involved, and he ended up coming out and saying that he felt like Manson was guilty. Here was the problem, though. Manson was still on trial, and here in the good old U.S. of A., we believe in the classic saying, innocent until proven guilty. However, the president of the United States just came out and said that he felt like Manson was guilty. So how could Charles Manson have a fair trial when the motherfucking president of the United States is saying he's guilty? So this was used by the defense Oof. because they actually god damn it nixon him. what the fuck <laughs> i know you piece they of they actually shit. called for like they tried to get like a mistrial on the grounds that the headline um prejudiced the jury against the defense um which like they were 100 percent right on like back with the obama days the obama's like this person's guilty i'd be i'd probably if i was a jury be like yeah. okay because it's obama saying I'd it be like, yes obama if trump it, yeah. said it i'd be like you're an awful like fucking i'd be like trump i'm days. doing <laughs> I, i'm like i'm doing the opposite of you, my trump. vote is the opposite of what he said <laughs> yeah exactly but still like if, a, if the if someone in that type of like authority figure declared that someone was uh, guilty, not just said, but like declared, like Manson's guilty. It's obviously going to give Manson an unfair trial. Oh, like, yeah. The whole thing with America is to give someone a fair trial. So, anyways, Manson's lawyers got like wet from this and they're like, yo, 
we can't give him a fair trial because Nixon just said that, so we needed a mistrial. But the judge of, of the entire trial, his name was Judge Older, he denied the motion after he had each juror state under oath that he or she or they would not be influenced by the president's reported declaration of guilt. So there's that. Damn. Now, if, a few weeks later, Manson tried attacking the judge after being denied the ability to cross-examine a witness. While police pulled him back and away from the judge, he started screaming in Latin and, like, seizing out or pretending to seize out. Um, and then after he did that, he, like, got really calm and did his classic crazy Manson stare at the judge. Ever since then, the judge now carries a gun with him or did carry a gun with him. From that point forward, because he got so scared. Damn. And then on, on November 16th, 1970, after 22 weeks of testimony, the prosecution rested its case. Three days later, after arguing just standard dismi- dismissal motions, the defense stunned the court by resting as well without calling a single witness. Um, shouting their disapproval, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten demanded the right to testify. Um, in their in like private chambers between the attorneys and the judge, the attorneys um, explained to the judge that they felt like their clients wanted to testify, um, but they were strongly opposed, believing that they would still, under the power and influence of Manson, testify that they planned committed the murders without Manson's help. So the girls were going to use their time to testify to get Manson out of jail, and the and their attorneys didn't want to let Manson get out of jail. However, returning to the courtroom, Judge Older declared that the right to testify took precedence and said the defendants could testify over the objections oh, of their counsel. Um, Adkins was then sworn as a witness, but her attorney, Dane Shin, refused to question her because he was so opposed to her getting on on stand on on because he knew that she would just incriminate the fuck out of herself and let Manson go free, do everything she could to let Manson go free. Um, Now returning to the chambers, one defense attorney complained that questioning their clients on the stand would be like in quotes, aiding a suicide because they knew what they were doing. Like they knew like Atkins lawyer knew like, if I testify you, you're just going to make yourself seem so guilty and Manson seem innocent like every single like you're lying yeah that way. you're just gonna like, fucking like, lie and every single and like okay i watched a couple documentaries about these girls about these trials and whatnot and every single move these girls did were scripted by manson like what they what what song they were singing when they like held hands and pranced into court like manson decided when they did the x's on their foreheads manson decided what they said anytime they were testified or anytime they're testifying or being cross-examined, Manson scripted. So it's like every single moment in the court case that Manson could control, he would control and manipulate. So the, so Van Houten and Atkins and all of those attorneys were just trying to... <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry, Simone just was dead asleep and just sh- jumped up out of nowhere. Oh, but anyways, all these, all these attorneys were just trying to prevent any way they could from Manson interfering, interfering anymore. But anyways, Manson still testified. He spoke for over an hour, just doing the classic Manson crazy person talking and, and staring. And he was saying things like, the music is telling the youth to rise up and against and rise against the establishment. And he was saying, why blame this all on me? I didn't write the music. 
saying shit like, to be honest with you, I don't recall ever saying, get a knife and go kill someone and change clothes. I just said, go follow whatever text says. So the so his defense attorney, his name was Irving Kinnerick, he took that as saying, hey, Charles Manson didn't tell anybody to go kill someone. He never had a knife in his hand. You can't charge this guy for murder because he didn't commit murder. Just because his followers committed murder and did this crazy shit doesn't mean that Manson told them to do it. Manson told them to follow Tex. Tex said go commit murder. This is Tex. This is Tex Watson, not Charles Manson. Charles Manson is just this psychedelic fun guru with a different point of view than we're all used to. So like this, pro- like his defense attorney did the greatest job he could possibly do yeah. by really trying to take the blame off of Charles Manson and, and putting it more on Tex and the girls and saying Charlie was just there. Wrong place, wrong time type of situation. Now, on January 15th, 1971, jury deliberations began and returned to its verdict on January 25th, 1971. This is 22-ish weeks, or this is, sorry, nine months, seven or nine months after um, the trial first started. The jury found all defendants guilty on each count of first-degree murder. After hearing additional evidence in the penalty phase of the trial, the jury completed its work by sentencing each of the four defendants to death on March 29th. As the clerk read the verdict, Manson shouted, You people have no authority over me. Patricia Krenwinkel yelled, You have judged yourselves. Susan Atkins screamed, better lock your doors and watch your kids. Watch your kids, watch your wife. <laughs> Leslie Van Houten. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Leslie Van Houten screeched, the whole system is a game. And the trial was over nine months later. It was the longest and most expensive case in American history up to that point. Tex Watson's trial began in August of 71 and, he, and ended in October that year. Um, he, too, was found guilty and, and sentenced to death. Now, in 1972, so about a year later, um, California abolished the death penalty. So all of the members of the Manson family that had the death penalty now received life sentences instead. Whoa. And the rest of the Manson family dispersed or continued doing crazy hippie shit. In 1971, a trial took place um, after, obviously, the, the Tate and LaBianca convictions and Manson was found guilty of the murders of Gary Hinman and Donald Shorty Shea and was given another life sentence. Now, Shea or Donald Shorty Shea was a Spawn Ranch stuntman and a horse wrangler who was actually killed 10 days after the first arrest of everybody back in August 16, 1969. Uh, Manson was suspected that Shea helped set up the raid and he had apparently believed that Shea was trying to get Spawn Ranch to run uh, the family off the ranch. Um, so he organized and like orchestrated this entire batshit wild murder of Donald Shorty Shea. In separate trials, uh, family members Bruce Davis, a.k.a. Corey's Love, and Stephen Clem Gorgon, <laughs> Grogan um, were also found guilty of Shea's murders. Um, Grogan would become, in 1985, the very first Manson murderer to ever be paroled. Um, fun fact, over the years, oh, each of the Manson girls... I'm actually looking at get... one of those pictures. He's hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over the years, each of the Manson girls tried to get parole dozens of times, but the requests were always denied. 
So now let's go forward to September 5th, 1975. The family skyrocketed back to national attention when Skeeky Fromm attempted to assassinate U.S. President Gerald Ford. Um, this attempt Damn. took place in Sacramento. Um, she actually moved to Sacramento with Sandra Good to be closer to Manson because she was always, until she got arrested, following Manson wherever he went. Um, Sarah Good ended up being arrested for using the U.S. mail to send death threats to government officials. She was released 10 years later in 1985 after serving 10 out of a 15-year sentence. Anyway, squeaky, squeaky though, um, she was sentenced 15 years to life. She was becoming the first person ever sentenced under the United States Code Title 18, Chapter 84, which made it a federal crime to attempt to assassinate the President of the United States. In December of <laughs> like 87... Like we needed something for that. <laughs> I know. Like, they should obviously already get that. But anyways, in December of 87, Squeaky served a life sentence... Uh, or sorry, Squeaky serving a life sentence for the, for the assassination escaped briefly. She, like, ran off to West Virginia. Um, she was actually trying to reach Charles Manson, who at the time had testicular cancer. Um, she was caught within days, went back to di- went back to jail, but she was released on parole in August of 2009. Tex became a born-again Christian. He ended up running a website that contained e-books and essays about faith and forgiveness and also about the crimes he committed. Um, Susan Atkins also became a born-again Christian as well. Um, Charles Manson went the polar opposite route. He turned the X in his forehead into a swastika, became a Nazi for decades. Young girls wrote him and would visit him for sex. Um, He was, you know, always preaching his like weird ass philosophies in jail, but like, you know, made it more white power. E he was flourishing in jail, which he already knew how to flourish in jail because, you know, he spent more than half of his life in prison. In addition to all of that, dozens of books and movies and documentaries were released, most famously uh, Helter Skelter, The True Story of the Manson Murders, written by Chief Prosecutor Bugliosi. Um, so many documentaries. Like, you just type in Charles Manson, and yeah. there is enough there's, for a lifetime right there. Yeah, there's like 10 it, it's like, right there. Yeah, it it's like overwhelming with how much is going on. With in terms of books and documentaries. Yeah. And then in 2008, it was announced that Susan Atkins had brain cancer, probably from all the acid in Belladonna. Um, an application for a compassionate release uh, was submitted, uh, but that was denied in July of 2008, and she was denied parole for the 18th time, Oof. and that was her final time being denied. And then 22 days later, um, Susan Atkins died from her brain cancer. So that was on September 24th, 2009. And then in 2016, so we're jumping forward quite a bit. Um, and meanwhile, between 2009 and 2016, you know, everyone was always trying to get parole, but always was being denied. But in 2016, Tex Watson was denied parole for the 16th time. Um, he will be eligible to re- reapply in 2021. So that's coming up, but he will get denied just like everyone else has been. Um, in 2017... Charles Manson died of natural causes at 83 years old. I actually remember the exact day that happened, weirdly enough, because uh, I think it was like a BuzzFeed article. But I was shooketh. I was more. I was not shooketh that he died. I was more shooketh at the fact that he was alive, because people like Charles Manson, like that's up there with like Ted Bundy and like 
yeah. you know, some of these most like infamous murderers and killers that you can think of. So it was it was really weird for me to realize that like Charles Manson was still like alive and then he just died. So I was like, oh, that that could mean that like Ted Bundy could have been still alive and people like that. So his death like shook with me to my core. Also, I thought it would be fun to talk to him one day. But now after doing all this research, I no longer think that. Anyways, that same exact year, Patricia Quenwinkle was denied parole for the 14th time. Um, she will be able to reapply in 2022. Um, in 2020, or sorry, 2019, The Love of Corey's Life, Bruce, Bruce Davis, was released on parole. So go after him, Corey. Now's your chance. Yeah. And then that same that same exact year, Leslie Van Houten was denied parole for her 22nd time. So, Damn. over the past four episodes, well over five or six hours, we have we dove we we have we dove into Charles. Let me re-say that. Over the past four episodes, we dove into Charlie's backstory, and now we. Holy shit! Sorry, give me one <laughs> second. Let me reread this. No big. I'm. I'm so drunk. I like don't even understand what I was trying to Edit. say. Edit. Sorry, Corey. Sorry, future Corey. Okay. Over the past four episodes, we dove into Charlie's backstory and how he was doomed from the start. We learned about the birth of the Manson family and what it used to be before the drugs got too intense and the idea of a race war sparked murder. We talked about the events that led up to the murders of Sharon Tate, Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frakowski, Jay Sebring, Stephen Parent, Lena Bianca, and Rosemary LaBianca. And finally, we went through the trial and the aftermath. After hours and hours and hours of my own personal Charlie Manson research and you listening to this podcast, my biggest question to you guys is how the fuck is your sex life? Yes, Chana. <laughs> and that, that completes journey. Charlie Manson. It was a journey, but we made it, y'all. I love it. We're here. I love it. How is your sex life, Corey? Um, not different because quarantine. Quarantine. Just Fun. working, working out. I don't yeah, have anything. I, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of like something interesting. You watch Hollywood. That's interesting. Oh my God. I watch Hollywood. That's free. It's really good. I would say like, like just, just relative to Ryan, Ryan Murphy's other works. It's really, it's really good. It's the best written, um, Ryan Murphy thing I've ever watched. Um, I've watched some of Glee. Um, I didn't really care for it that much, though. Um, and We're then, too old for Glee. Yeah, I, I was too like. old for Glee when it came out. I was like, okay, cool, whatever, I don't give a shit. Uh, but I love American Horror Story, but American Horror Story isn't well written, <laughs> except for maybe, like, the first season or the first three seasons. It's just so bashing wild. Yeah. Coven's so bad, but it's so Oh, fun. yeah, yeah, Coven <laughs> is actually pretty bad, but it's, like, stylistically awesome. So aesthetically good. so pleasing yeah. but it's like so rough if you just like <laughs> pay attention for five seconds <laughs> right <laughs> um and and so like yeah ryan murphy like his writing isn't the best but um but that is but hollywood is actually really good it's really well it's it's like relatively really well written um and just a great show like everything i've always wanted so fuck yeah i love the shit out of that yeah I accidentally watched it all in one day without really realizing it. <laughs> um, so that was fun. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I purposely we like we purposely spaced it out. I we only did nice. like 
I think two episodes a day because I was like, I want to savor this. Yeah. I think my only critique with the show is there wasn't re- like any real conflict or urgency behind like. But that's what I sort of action. liked about it is it was but just th- like mostly it's positive I- things were happening. Because you don't have a show like that where it's just like it's ninety nine percent positive. Yeah. So that's what I liked about it, but that's also my biggest critique because it took a lot of anxiety out of it because I wasn't worried about like what are they gonna do now? Oh my god! Like this, like their whole. Oh, that's sort of that's actually sort of why I super liked it. But I'm saying like that's why I liked it, but also that's my biggest critique because I liked it because it took out that anxiety. But also, like it took out that urgency for me, so I yeah it makes yeah like you the anticipation not of what like gonna happen. care yeah. or worry as much because you're like everything's gonna be fine, yay! And then also it kind of teased you to thinking that something was about to go horribly wrong, but nothing. That's really actually does. very true. Yeah, agreed. And so I like I kept on waiting for you know something to drop and something to be like catastrophic, but it never really reached that point. So it kind of blue balled me. F- in that aspect, but I was also happy did, especially right now. Cause I'm watching during quarantine. Like I don't need extra stress. So no, I, like, true. I thought it was the, thought it was like the perfect show. to. That's why I particularly loved it. As I was like, this is just nice. It's fun. It's like, it's like, it's the utopia. Like what yeah. I would have wanted to happen. If this would have happened in the forties instead of like the late forties, instead of like somewhat in the late fit or uh, late sixties yeah. um, and on. Like, but yeah, you're always like, oh my God, when is someone going to get fucking like gay bashed or something like that? Like, oh my yeah, God, exactly. I'm so scared. And, yeah. and that's because we're so used to like TV shows and film right now. And that's like part of the reason that made it so different is because it was so happy yeah. and positive. And that was the whole point. It was, it was showing yeah. the what if. Yeah. It was like, but this still, is a what if there were, there was definitely some conflict and some like hurdles yeah. to overcome. But I would I would agree like it's not it's really like most hurdles are overcome or solved within an episode, maybe two, but usually within the same episode. So it was a yeah. nice just like refresh, like refresher of just happiness, but happiness, yeah. particularly for queer and people of color. Yeah, it was definitely like the utopia. Like, what if it, yeah. it was super fun? It was super positive. The, the actors did a great job, like especially uh, the gas station owner who is <gasps> in the first ep- or first uh, season. season yeah. Yeah. Of and American Horror Story. Who, He's fucking awesome. Who, oh, yeah. And the guy that played like Dick in the Hollywood, like there's so many great actors and like yeah. each actor had like a shining monologue where you're like, fuck yes. Yeah. Like, I'm going to cry. Yeah. You tear you up during it. Definitely. Agreed. But. It was su- it was super fun. Go watch it. Everybody. Go watch it. It yeah. was a good one. If you like this podcast, you'll definitely love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's gay as fuck. It's gay as <laughs> fuck, bitch. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much it. Like nothing, nothing necessarily super different going on. Yeah. Yeah. I watched Hollywood like Corey. I've been watching Sailor Moon. Cute. That's about it. Well, we only recorded two days ago from our last episode. Yeah, that's so very true. So there's like true. not too much but to But thankfully I watched Hollywood in the entirety of that time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways. How's your sex life? Bye, guys. Okay, bye. See you next Friday. Follow us on Instagram.